0: Hey everybody, Justin Bell here, your host on Life with Legends. Motorsports, it's a compelling and aspirational way of life, and sometimes we, on the inside, forget that until someone from the top of their other game, so to speak, comes into our world and brings with them a set of principles and focus that energizes even the most jaded of us. Such is the case with Major Baseball League Picture. See, I can't even say it major baseball league pitcher CJ Wilson, who I got to sit down with at his stunning car dealership in Fresno, California. Years ago, from the moment I met CJ, I was struck by his intensity and commitment, not just to becoming faster in the race car, but also by creating his own race team to further his aspirations. I was in the pit lane with Fox Sports for most of his racing career, and he was always a cool interview especially to a British guy that wouldn't know how to throw a baseball if my life depended on it. I've wanted to have this conversation for so long, as I've been fascinated about his approach to life, and to be honest, I had to find out if, if he was born, or was he made this way? As I think you'll discover during this podcast, there was never a doubt he would become successful in whatever he chose in life. From pitching for the Los Angeles Angels to the high banks of Daytona International Speedway, he also apparently never had doubts either. Which is pretty extraordinary. And now his intellect, focus, and skill set is all concentrated on his thriving car dealerships. But I was pleased to hear that racing is never far from his mind. So, for a man so successful, so young, the story has many chapters to go. And I think you're going to learn something about what it takes to be a real winner. I think it all came about to do this with also being on T V. Mm-hmm. imagine you're there at the, the pit lane in Daytona and they're like, Oh, when CJ Wilson's here and you know, they're like, I'm okay, going, I know nothing about fucking baseball. Who is which one is CJ Wilson? <laughs> so I'm walking down the Oh, he's the regular size white, the, the, the the white guy. The regular size white guy and then going and he's in they're a regular white guys. And I'm going and I remember walking along, they go, There he is, and I'm telling you, there's three drivers in there. And it was the first time I'd seen you and so I'm having to do the old yeah stare down at your crutch yeah and which is a great way to meet a dude right you know staring down going yeah okay that's hey you play that game right that yeah. that you know why the <laughs> hell are you here actually if you want to slide that mic a little closer yeah. to you, it'll it'll be better um so that's i remember that was the first time i met you and i, I was i know nothing about baseball other than i went to see uh, my friend uh, John Henry owned the Red Sox mm-hmm. so I went to the World Series game it was my first ever baseball game start right at the top start right at the top and my friends who live and die by baseball mm-hmm. were thought it was sacrilege it was like it was really oh, like you don't deserve it I did not deserve my right, place at the r- table right. there um, I, I really didn't deserve it but it was so cool and so when you came into it I remember trying to look into it a bit more just I was like well you've got to understand where this guy came from if he's, mm-hmm. if he's here
1: um, yeah, it's kind of the same like one of the first time I met Patrick Dempsey it was at Daytona and someone's like hey you should meet Patrick Dempsey he's like kind of doing what you're doing but yeah. he's you know a uh, you know he's a actor obviously I was like well I know who Patrick Dempsey is right so he looks right at me and he goes hey nice to meet you are you married and I'm like what is what is <laughs> happening right now and I don't like no why and he goes you should do the Baja 1000 and I was like uh, how are these correlated you know and he goes yeah. If you have a wife, she'll never let you do it. Most dangerous race ever. It's amazing. You should totally go. Oh, hey, I gotta like, get cool. in the car in a little bit. Nice to meet you. Boop boop boop. You know, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, everyone's I was going like, an like angle. I can hang out here. This seems like
1: everyone's pretty approachable. Yeah. You know. God. So,
0: yeah. It's. it's funny. I mean, obviously, we're here at your dealership. Thanks for having me up. And but, like I said, when I saw it, this is grown-up shit. Yeah. This is. You went off to do this, and obviously the Fresno is not on the beaten path for most of us. Yeah, But exactly. when you went off to do it, was it atypical for your life or stereotypical for your life? When you do it, you go, you do it, right?
1: Yeah. You commit. Yes. I think the, the biggest challenge for, let's say, the car dealership specifically, right? Yeah. Versus like a pizza place. You know, I use this analogy to say that these are two different models of business, right? Uh, If you have a popular pizza place, people can come back once or twice a week. You know, you can have your best customers have the usual, right? Car business is not like that. It's a much slower turn rate with people. You sell a car to somebody, they come back in a year, three years, whatever, depending on how much money they have or whatever. With these brands, with Porsche, Audi, and BMW, maybe more frequently because we have business owners or doctors or something like that. But yeah, it's a very slow ramp. And so if you're into instant gratification, it's it's not a good outcome. You know, uh, it, you have to like really have a low time preference and really think about how to build something over time. And when i started it initially um it was uh it was honestly it was like penske as a model to say oh wow look at this yeah. guy that used racing to catapult into dealerships and look where he ended up and yeah. obviously still racing again as a team but not necessarily racing as a person so i was like okay well i'll start a racing team first as the relationship builder yeah. and that way i'm meeting all the really because the people at the track are the top level people yeah, totally. you know yeah so sorry my wife's don't why blowing me up right now that's what oh. they do.
0: No, I, I mean I, I get it. I think very much for for you coming to do this. You always seemed to to me when we taught to have a plan. Mm-hmm. It was like you had a plan and a focus. But did you always have a plan? Working all the way through? I mean let's go back. Yeah. You told me once you weren't the biggest kid, you weren't the fastest kid, you weren't the but you
1: were the most focused kid. Yeah.
0: Is that the definition of CJ Wilson?
1: i think determination right yeah. um i had a lot of injuries as a kid um, i had some health problems as a kid i didn't have the prospect status i wasn't somebody you know that people were looking at as like oh this is a can't miss person you see that in sports a lot yeah, of times yeah. you'll see a guy that's a legend because oh this kid hit a ball over that second fence or this kid throws harder than everybody or you know something like yeah, that yeah. oh this kid can dunk when he's in eighth grade or something yeah. um i was i was a kid i saw a top gun okay yeah. and i was like i want to be a fighter pilot i want to go fast i want to do extreme stuff i want to you know america's cool i want to yeah. fight for the country and fly you know fighter planes and my dad was in the air force my grandfather was in the navy oh. uh, my dad's dad was also in the armed services i can't remember if he was marines or uh army um but you know so i had i used to go to air shows and all that stuff as a kid and so i didn't even play sports until i was eight I didn't play baseball until I was like eight, and then um, that first year was uh, kid pitch. You know, so I skipped t ball and coach pitch and all that stuff. And the reason why I started playing baseball was I went to my dad and I was like, "Hey, I really like the Lakers. It'd be had to play for the Lakers one day." And he's like, "Listen, let's be real. Let's be let's be real, really kid. real about this. You're you're probably going to be six feet tall. You're white. Like <laughs> yeah. Magic Johnson, six foot eight. You know, Kareem, six, seven foot two. Like that's not you. Like you don't look like those guys. You're not yeah. going to be able to play with How those are guys." You? I was 7 or 8 years old, wow. so then I gave myself a, a, you know, I was like, okay, what are, how do I get a Ferrari Testarossa? That was the yeah. thing, right? Uh, Don Johnson's on TV, Magnum P. is on TV, uh, you know, it's 1987, 1988, this is when the Lakers were winning everything, and I'm growing up in Southern California, so obviously they're on TV, they're the big show in basketball, and basketball's on TV all the time. <laughs> uh, so um, you know, m- my dad's like, okay, so you're going to need to get a good job. I was, okay, like give me some. What, what are some good jobs, you know? And I, at this time, I was already a car person. I'm a, a car person enough to say I want a Ferrari Testarossa, yeah. right? As in 1987. Yeah. So he goes, okay, you could be a doctor. I'm like, okay, what does a doctor do, really? Like my doctor. And he goes, yeah. yeah, like your doctor. Um, you know, he probably makes 100 or 200 grand a year or whatever it is. This is like back in the day. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, a Ferrari Testarossa is 120,000 dollars. So you know, I can afford it with that. And I'm like, but I don't really want to, like, have to cut people open and do the, I wasn't, like, into <laughs> yeah. the blood and the guts. <laughs> he goes, okay, you could be a lawyer. I'm like, well, what does a lawyer do? And he's like, oh, you know, they, like, argue with other lawyers about their, they, they have, like, a client that's paying them to fix a problem and they argue about stuff. And I'm like, I don't, that sounds shitty. I don't want to do that. Um, and he's like, or you know, you could be like a psychologist, and you know, like, like your uncle Dean, he does this and you know, he talks to people about their problems and helps them work through it. And I'm like, I don't care about anybody else's problems. Like, so he's like, Well, you know, your, your uncle, uh, he played golf, and you know, he, he, uh, was a club pro at the time. Um, I don't know. He was, I think he was wrapping up his professional career, but he played on like the Nike tour the maybe the wow. South American tour or something like that for a little bit. He never really broke through all the way, but he'd play like the US Open in LA every year and stuff like that. So um, you know, I was like, okay, golf is cool. So I played golf for a little bit. My grandfather was a golfer. My uncle was a golfer um, on my mom's side. Everybody golfed on my mom's side of the family. So we would go to like the par three and you know, I'd shoot okay and stuff like that. But um, I'd play catch with my dad in the backyard this is how clueless people were in my family about baseball my aunt my mom's sister uh bless her heart she's she's great my dad goes hey he's a lefty she goes to the store and gets a glove for my left hand thinking that the left hand is the yeah, like yeah. you're a lefty so you catch with the left hand all right obviously doesn't get it my dad's like this is not how it works so my dad was not a baseball guy he liked basketball so we would like play basketball for fun but you know, I, I had a little go kart and I would drive it around the neighborhood or whatever and that's what I wanted to do. I wanna do car stuff. So for me it was like, Okay, well if I'm a baseball player, like those are I look at the back of the baseball cards, hey, five foot ten, six foot three, like you know, this guy's Tom Glavin's like five eleven, Greg Maddox is 5'10", 5'11", whatever. These are regular sized guys. And look at him go, you yeah, know, yeah. And they're making the ball do this, making the ball do that. And then, you know, Nolan Ryan, six foot two, I mean, Granny threw a hundred, but he was like a regular size person. You have Randy Johnson, six foot 10, throwing a hundred. I'm like, okay, I'm probably not going to turn into that. But obviously you contrast that with like, everybody in the NBA is huge. Yeah. Everybody in the NFL is a physical freak. So that's not me. I'm regular size, like little kid that gets picked on. So maybe I should just stick with baseball. So, um, uh, you know, I play baseball, uh, first year I'm this probably worst kid on the team. Um, but I could throw because I'd been playing catch, playing catch of the football, playing catch of the baseball. And, um, yeah, eventually I told my coach, you know, Hey, I'm going to be a major league all-star one day. Cause I really want a Ferrari. And he's like, well, you suck at baseball. So you should probably just take that and go play soccer because you're fast and you know, you're energetic. You can't hit, you suck. <laughs> and, um, I was like, I'm going to be an all-star and like, you'll see. And it was like that, that was the trigger for me it was an adult told me that i sucked at something and i already had my kind of dream path set out so i wrote down i had a typewriter i wrote down i'm going to be major league all-star and i'm going to buy a testarosa and i signed it and i gave it to my mom and i said this is what i'm going to do at this point my parents are divorced so like i had a little bit of a web situation mm-hmm. where i'd you know do some stuff with my dad some stuff with my mom my mom literally knew nothing about baseball like and um so there was a definite conflict there in terms of, like, access to information or something. And I didn't have cable, so I couldn't watch ESPN or whatever at the time. There was no YouTube. So So I, you made a commitment to baseball without actually knowing much about baseball other than your base research. Which is the same thing I did in the car business. I basically said, I'm going to get in the car business <laughs> yes. and just be good at it. And then I got in it for a couple of years. And I was like, this is horrible and terrible yeah. and this yeah. is painful. But, yeah, the baseball thing, was like, okay, baseball is going to be the vehicle that takes me what I, to get to where I want to get to in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of, I would say, like a keyhole effect. So you, you're looking through the keyhole to say, my dreams are on the other side of this, and there's a lock, and I need to get through this door, this barrier. And there might be another barrier another lobby to wait through or mm-hmm. whatever, but it really is like having a very fine focus on what exactly you want, And then that allows you to sort of cram yourself into what's required. And if you have this much energy, right, and you can dial it into this small of a point, then it becomes a laser and it just goes. And that's what got me through all the challenges that I've ever faced is that, that singular thing that I've been doing since I was a kid. So... Um, doesn't make me the funnest person to be around sometimes if I'm upset or whatever because I'm just still thinking about that one thing I'm grinding right. on it. But I mean, my life's awesome. Like everything's worked out pretty well. I would say I think yeah. it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'd say so. it has. But but
0: all I know about American mainstream stick and ball, mm-hmm. well, not stick ball sports is yeah. it's comparing to racing mm-hmm. where the funnel is like a icicle. If mm-hmm. you were, you know yes. it's a very tight. Not so many people try. Still, even with the karting that goes on, still very small pyramid to get to the top, very hard to get to the top. But in football and baseball, I mean, it's like this the pyramid right? There's tens of thousands of kids mm-hmm. playing playing minor league and doing all that I mean, how do you how is it minor league? I don't know. Whatever yeah. you do when you're little. Um to try and get those jobs at the top and there's a lot more jobs there correct than there is in my our sport now yeah. but how was that daunting to you because it sounds daunting to go to, every year you have to somehow climb to the next level right and yeah. your dad and mum
1: have to take you it's a freaking undertaking this is the this is the best part of the story right just like when you read the alchemist and then the treasures underneath the the church the whole time yeah. spoiler alert sorry yeah. <laughs> um the, the inner journey that you take sometimes has these sprinklings of mentorship or something like that along the way. These things happen to you and they, they're like, whoa, they wake you up, right? Yeah. Like smelling yeah. salts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 10, okay? So it's 1990. Uh, Don Larson, who had pitched for the Yankees in the 50s and 60s, threw a perfect game in the World Series, right? So yeah. this is like the ultimate achievement in pitching is a perfect game. Doing yeah. it in the World Series against the Dodgers, like the craziest thing that's yeah. ever happened in the yeah. World Series, right? Yeah. So... He lived in Orange County, so he came to speak at our, our Little League, at CV Little League in Huntington Beach. And um, he said, listen, guys, what you are doing is awesome. Baseball is a great game. Here's a story about me. And he has signed some autographs of himself, like, you know, pitching in 1956 mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, so, you know, at this time, the guy is, like, 65 years old, right? So this is, like, the, like 1990. And... Um, he said something that that stuck with me he said only one in twenty nine thousand little leaguers is gonna make it to the to to the uh to the professional level and i don't know if if, if at the time the stat was the major league level or just minor leagues and and you know professional technically so i looked around and i was like man there's only like 850 kids here a thousand kids here and i was like screw these kids it's gonna be me and that really? was, because I was like, I had proved George Golden wrong, you know, when he yeah. told me I sucked and needed to play soccer. My dad recognized that I was studious and I could learn and absorb things by reading. So he gave me Wade Boggs's book of hitting. It's called the, the Technique of Modern Hitting. And Wade Boggs was a batting champion. So he had the highest batting average in the American League for like, you know, pretty much all of the 80s, but then some of the 90s too. He ended up winning the World Series with the Yankees. Was an all-star player, Hall of Fame player, great guy uh, on the field. Uh, had, superstitious, he ate chicken every day. But he was a left-handed hitter, and he was kind of a—he wasn't like a freakish athlete, I guess is what I would okay. say. He was a deterministic athlete, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I read his book, and I go from the worst player on the team, nine years old, suddenly the best hitter on the team at ten. You know, new team, new level, move up a level. But I'm the best hitter. Why? Because I read a book, and I read that book. 10 times. I read it every day. I read it and read it and read it and read it and And I was trying to like really understand all of it. I used to look at all the baseball cards, I'd buy the baseball cards and I would lay out the photos and see because they'd have awesome action shots. The guy's like hitting and you can see his like face where he's looking, where the ball is and where the bat is and his body position. And I'd stand in front of the mirror and be like, okay, that's what it feels like. That's major league. This is major (laughs) league swing, right? And just drawing the the visual comparison to like okay if I can get in that body position I can play like that guy once I get big enough I can play like that guy now you know what I mean and that sort of so I just saw a very direct ratio of hey these guys are doing it there's a lot of them there's 30 teams or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, why can't I be, like, there's 25 guys on each team. That's a lot of active players. And there's yeah. a 40-man roster. It's 1,200, you know, top-level guys. Well, if there's 1,200, I mean, you know, like, I've that's... have got a shot. I've got a shot. It's better than, the, you know, the NBA, there's five dudes on the field, right? Yeah. The, the NFL, there's a much shorter career because of the brutality of the game, right? Yeah. So, you know, you think of it that way, and then the numbers work for you. Formula One, there's 20 guys right yeah. IndyCar. there's 35 guys yeah. something like that right mm-hmm. nascar 40 yeah. or whatever 50 and then obviously trucks and whatever else so if you really look at it like what's the total amount of like high level paid professional uh, we try to work it out many it's like times. less than a thousand easily oh. way, way less than a, than a thousand it's way less than yeah. a thousand yeah. Yeah, right yeah, yeah so there's there's over 1200 baseball players you know what i mean yeah, just yeah. one sport right and yeah. then you look at all these other sports hockey and everything else so you know i kind of look at myself and say all right well you know yeah if you're one of the top 10 indycar guys you're making really good money and you know t- top you know if you're a formula one guy it's just like yeah. the achievement itself yeah but i wanted to be a fighter pilot right so think about my level of commitment goose dies in top gun mm-hmm. right I'm, a, I'm like okay with that i'm fine yeah, with that yeah. i'm like all right i'm willing to die if that's what it takes to get to my goal so if you're willing to go that far as like a six-year-old you're clearly there's something either wrong with you or right with you it's that maybe a combination that of the both, two probably yeah <laughs> but that that, that, uh, that graph event eventually bends around, right yeah. So you develop enough like gravity with your dream and your goal and then you literally bend both sides and the outcome becomes the same either way. Yeah. So you're either mean enough to play hard or you're smart enough to play hard. and but eventually if you play hard enough, then that's the how you really draw the the distance you know, and get somewhere in the sport or whatever it is. And it's just like people talk about racing and the reason why I love racing so much is because you know who was racing when I was a kid? Mansell, Senna, Prost. There's all these different approaches to Formula 1 racers yeah. at the time. You have the dude with like his heart on the dashboard. You know yeah. the Senna. Then you have the guy that's like, I'm going to drive as slow as I can and preserve the car and outsmart everybody, and play politics, prost right. Yeah. And then you have uh, Nigel Nig- Mantle, who
0: is literally he was like a bar fighter. Yeah, I mean? exactly. Went in,
1: just swinging on yeah. everybody, yeah. right. And then you have the then you have Porsche at the time with the 956, 962, yeah. and the Group C cars and all that stuff. And you have Rally coming in. So there's a lot of this at the time, Speed Vision and stuff like mm. that on TV. My dad had that and he loved cars, so I, I saw these guys and I'd see Senna like winning and crying after he yeah. wins and I'm like I can relate to that like yeah. that's what, when I hit my first home run when I was 11 years old yeah. that's what I I, I, like okay. wanted, I was like oh my god so I did it I finally hit a home run and I remember running around the bases and feeling like you know like I'd won the world championship and that's how what it meant to me because it's when you're putting yeah. everything on in on the line you got it. like a fighter pilot or a Formula 1 driver and you're willing to die to get to there then that's how you play every game and people are like oh you like level up for the playoffs or you try harder I'm like I've never not tried as hard as I can. I don't know what that means. Yeah. You know, That's the only reason I got to where I am. What comes to mind when I hear you say that is, it sounds so obvious, but
0: it is so individual. That is, I bet that, you know, if your dad was sitting here and I and your mom and they would go, oh no, he, this came out of this little seven year old. This was not us. No. This, we gave him the foundation. Mm-hmm. And as you know, now you're a parent multiple times. I've got two kids the power of the spirit in the individual is the one it's not genetics it's there's something that drives certain people more than us if you read elon musk's biography you know he he came out he was a different he could have been autistic on one hand and he's he's not you know maybe he is on the spectrum a bit but almost the common denominator is there's a little bit of ping on the spectrum i think for nearly anyone that's successful as in your ability to Myopically dive in on mm-hmm. a subject, especially when you are young. Your parents must have been. You, do you think they just it was more, you were more like a missile? They had to keep just nudging in the right direction because you had your own inertia. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. they didn't have to give you one eighties. It looked like they just kept on making yeah. sure the rocket's heading in the right direction. Like
1: I, I, I say this in, in a sort of ironic way because a lot of people categorize pro athletes or you know, let's say racing drivers as like these seat of the pants like the, the sort of let's call it like the steve mcqueen thing right yeah. um like this guy was like on you know he was off his rocker he yeah. was like riding motorcycles shirtless you know like taking different yeah, chicks yeah. back to the trail like this whole thing right um there's an element of that right the the james hunt effect or yeah, whatever you want to call it totally. in, in racing that just like bon vivant i'm just like yolo i'm gonna let it all go then there's like a more martial arts approach that some of these guys take which is like they measure everything because they they can't not You know what I'm saying? So for me, like I had recurring dreams as a kid that were like psychologically very weird. And I was like, you know, in a lane because of that. So I knew that there was like a response to pressure that, that, you know, just, it's just like weightlifting or something like that. If you have a a pressure situation... It makes you harder, right? Mm. You go through something bad and it makes you better if you're willing to take the bruise head on and then adapt through it. You know, yeah. If you lift weights or you run or something like that, then your body changes as a result of the repetition of that. So psychologically, I understood that by putting myself through difficult things and challenging myself to like invent things or do whatever, um, then I was going to evolve mentally to have a tool there that was going to yeah. be useful. I'm physically, I didn't really catch up with people as a baseball player until I... I was, you know, um, probably maybe 18 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. So even like in high school, I was still really, really small compared to other guys that were like the big prospects. You know, some of these guys are like out physicaling everybody, and you could see that. Oh, he's got a terrible swing, but he's just so damn strong. He can bench 300 pounds, and he's full testosterone at 18. Yeah, Yeah. he hits the ball of the fence. I didn't. I didn't get to the point where I was throwing, let's say, ninety miles an hour, which is kind of like the the key line, you okay. know, in um, in in baseball, um, till I was probably twenty. You know, do you remember that first pitch when you saw it? Yeah, ninety. I remember, like, I hit eighty eight one time, and I was like, "Oh, th- there's no turning back. I'm hundred percent going to do it now." Okay. But like I said, the sprinkles of, of mentorship and also like the sort of sl- the the backhanded compliments or whatever, like, "Hey, that's good." You're good in this scenario, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, it was There was a lot of that throughout the process. I got thrown out of one of my high school games by my coach. He told me to go home because I told him I didn't want to pitch the last inning. I would pitched six innings already, thrown 100 pitches. And I was like, hey, i got to save my arm for college or whatever. Like, bring in a reliever. Yeah. And he's like, if you don't want to finish the game, you can just leave. And I was like, all oh, right, I'll leave. And I stood my ground on my health, you know. Yeah, yeah, and so I had that. I had, like, my mom got in a bad car accident when I was a kid. Uh, I was like 15 she was in a hospital in a coma and all that stuff so I was like hey these people could be ripped away from me these people yeah. that I count on so like you said was somebody like nudging me forward no were they they were basically like laying out the food and saying like okay just he, maybe he's possessed but he's productive so yeah. we'll just stay out of his yeah. way and i'm just a very obsessive person with with what i want in and in i think a good way because i've you know lived this very like teetotaling life i've never drank or done any drugs or anything like that but i've done 200 miles an hour i've done wheelies on the highway and bike. you know i've i've i got to fly an f16 best thing ever so um, you know i i think it, it's it's like you said if i have the inertia and i'm seeing progress from that i just had this mentality that i can be harder than everybody you know i used to watch like fight movies and read Bruce yeah. Lee quotes and you know you see these it's like for me it was, a, it was a direct relationship between my pain tolerance and my willingness to be terrible at something mm. you know and fail and like have people tell you you suck play kids that are older than you that are bigger than you get your ass kicked and then come back for more and yeah. that resiliency or determination was like you know and then you get an injury and you're like oh, I'm not gonna let this guy this is not gonna stop yeah, me you know yeah, so yeah. it's 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 that over and over and over again and you get better at it and it's like a muscle yeah. if you if you prove enough people wrong then you just become the people the person that yeah. and then once I've, this is what sucks people start liking you and telling you you're good and then you're like wait no i need to have, need to have an enemy yeah i need to have an enemy did, did you
0: did you allow yourself to enjoy the successes at each milestone, because you know when you first signed a, a major league contract, yeah, that's like getting your first profession. I mean, it's not just like getting your first professional racing contract, because that's one thing. It's like getting to Formula One, right? You yeah. got to Formula One, yeah you realize that all that work, all that sacrifice, which to you wasn't even sacrifice, it was mm-hmm. just part of the routine. Do you remember that moment like i mean did you look at your dad and go fuck we did it i mean shit now i can enjoy it or you're just like i'm just going to kill this the way i did everything else like
1: for me it the faster the ramp up of success was the the harder the the obstacle was to get over to get to the real level right so i would say that if you imagine like in american football it's you know 100 yard field or whatever and it's like getting the ball down to the 10 yard line was easy for me always I Mm -hmm. I was able to like you know encounter some resistance and then I would have this massive quantum leap of either learning something or being really good at executing one part of the game and then I would like you know get an injury or something bad would happen or something like that um so the, in, in that theme, and it, it, once again, when something plays through your life over and over again, then you become resistant to that as, yeah. a, as like a psychological thing. You're like, okay, well, this is just how it works. Yeah. So um, you know, I uh, flew through the minor leagues, right? Flew through the minor leagues. And then it was pretty much between me and this other guy. We were the top two left-handed pitching prospects for Texas at the time. He got called up in September. Um, and then he pitched like one game, two games, and then the season's over. Him and I both started the same year in the minors the next year. Both of us blew our elbows out. So we were like the next guys to the majors, and we, then I missed 18 months. <sighs> so um, at the time, you know, I was so cocky and so confident. And I was like, you know, I had a pitching coach say, hey, what's stopping you from being good at this level or that level? I said, you putting me on that team. Like, I'm good. Like, put me there, you know? And he's like, you really think you're hot shit? And I was like, well, I do the work. None of these other guys do. You know that. They they know that. They all know I'm better, you know? The hitters know I'm better because I'm getting them out. And these are all prospects. Like, you know, I played against all these guys moving up because the funnel effect you start to recognize people. You're like, mm-hmm. Hey, I remember you. Like we played against each other in college or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then the best people, the cream rises to the top. Right. And yeah. so this guy that you played against in some random summer league tournament, suddenly he's playing against you in a ball, double a, yeah. whatever. And so you recognize those guys and they become like rivals. And this is the best thing. When you have a rival that you can kind of keep going. And then like get that long, slow burn of rivalry. Yeah. That is such a great motivator for someone like me. That's antagonistic and yeah. takes the friction. Um, so you know i missed 18 months and i didn't make it to the major leagues obviously during that period of time i was hurt i couldn't even pick up a ball at some point um the most like the biggest turning point for me in regards to that was 2004 i was i missed the whole season they had sent me home they said hey listen you have this nerve problem you might never throw again we don't know what's happening and um i had this crippling fear of heights like absolutely crippling i couldn't look out a window on the second floor of a building i was like like, people were like, oh, let's go off the springboard at the pool, right? Yeah, I was like, issue. F that. I'm going to, yeah. like, you know. Oh, what's Everyone else is doing it. You can see. You're not going to get hurt or whatever. I just, it was psychological. I couldn't do it. So a bunch of my friends, uh, my, my straight edge friends from Orange County, they did this thing in, in Laguna Beach called The Mission. So we would, like, swim through this uh, cavern and then, like, trapeze along this rock and then, like, climb this other rock and then jump off, like, a 40-foot cliff back into the ocean. Um, so if anybody's in Orange County, it's like Thousand Steps Beach is where we would start, and yeah. we would sprint through this process, and wow. it would take us about an hour. So it's physical, like in, like I'm in a half marathon or something. And um, these are guys that none of them drink, right? So this is like where we get it. This is where we get that stupid like, "Hey, let's go and get in a fight" kind of thing. We get it out of our system. Um, I couldn't jump off the rock; I'd never done it before. But I was like, the, the pew pressure—they're going to make me do it, and I'm going to figure it out. So I. Do my first jump and I remember I was wearing like a Casio G Shop watch and I hit the water so hard and broke the watch. And it's like the unbreakable Casio G Shop, right? No offense to Casio. But um but then I, I landed and I hit the water and I was like, Okay. I got it. Like that's it. And it was direct confrontation with my biggest fear, which was heights at the time. I wasn't scared of sharks. You know, I've been a surfer my whole life. And, and I'd see case dying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So but it was that that thing, and that was while I was hurt. So for me, it was like, okay, well, I might never play, who am I? Am I the person that's scared of stuff? No, why why am I scared of this thing? I need to get through this. You know, I was working at Nordstrom selling clothes, you know, to make money. Cause you make about 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks a month in the miters for five months a year. So I'm living in Newport beach. My income is 10,000 a year. I'm like, this is not working. (laughs) I go get a regular job. I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to have a regular job. I want to be special. I want to do this thing. I do the, the cliff jumping thing, it becomes the thing for me then to do extreme things at that point. Yeah. And then I start chasing, because yeah, I'd already been like a surfer and stuff, but then I start chasing a little bit of that adrenaline high. Um, when we were doing that at one point, I almost drowned. So I got hit by a wave. And, um, at the time, you know, I had a 993 that I bought with my signing bonus money, right? I was
0: about to ask, what about the car? The
1: Testarossa never happened? Never got a Testarossa. Yeah. All um, right realized it wasn't the car for me. <laughs> uh, I've had multiple Ferraris since then. Yeah, I've had Ferraris that I think are much better Ferraris, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I still think a flying mirror Testarossa is a pretty cool car, yeah. but I just like haven't had the I don't know, maybe if I had a Ferrari store, then I would have one, you know, cuz then I'd have yeah. a guy in the back just like to make sure it didn't spontaneously combust. <laughs> but um yeah i mean it was it was the challenge and the 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 failure and the over and over and over again that just made me want to keep going and and so when i had bad things happen either to me or someone around me i was like okay well this is life this is the way it is yeah and And do
0: do you um how important was the money when you were playing because i imagine your attention to detail made you a tough negotiator
1: yeah, but you're on like a fixed salary. So is it,
0: is it already predetermined? Really? Yeah,
1: it's, it's a predetermined thing. You negotiate your signing bonus, and then the first, all the way through the minor leagues, and then your first three years of the majors, you have really no negotiating power. Okay. So you, until after your third year, then you go to arbitration. That's when you can kind of start negotiating again, and then when you become a free agent. But for me, it was actually the, the just purchasing cars was the, that was my business thing. And then I started stock trading when I was like 13. So my grandfather was a mathematician and he was like really into technical analysis. He used to do technical analysis on the lottery numbers, you know, and he would like randomly win, like he'd play it all the time and like win a thousand bucks, 5,000 bucks, like whatever. Yeah, it was weird. He had this whole theory, this is free for anybody. If you chart it on an Excel spreadsheet, okay. And he used to do this. manually I guess at the time uh, he felt that there was these bubbles on the lottery that these things like this the numbers in this range hadn't happened in a while yeah you know and so then at some point that bubble was gonna close just because the law of large numbers was you're gonna have a statistical like distribution yeah you know and so he was like he would play the bubble numbers and every every week he would play like 10 ten bucks or five bucks or whatever it was and he would play write in numbers. Most people just say, "Oh, give me a quick yeah, gig. yeah." And he would literally play that. He would go to Vegas. He would count cards. My grandma would blow it all on slots, and he would like win it all back and to break even. Um, he was a super sharp guy, and he was the person in my life that I really looked up to the most. He had no flaws. He was like the best example of a person that I had. At the time, and um, so when he passed away, it was like after I made the majors, and I was very happy about that that he got to yeah, see me make I'm it. Glad, yeah. um, But I got a memorial tattoo, you know, of him on my on my forearm, and uh, a lot of my people, a lot of people in my family, very conservative, but my grandma was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool, you know, that you <laughs> love your gra- you loved him so much that you did that." So, yeah. I think like you know, life is life is very. Is spherical. Like there's all these yeah. directions it goes, and it doesn't. It's not linear at all. Um, so you know you have these things, and they they motivate you, and they demotivate you, and and all that stuff. But I think the money was not the motivation. I wanted cool stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I knew I needed money to get a cool house. I knew I needed money to get a cool car. But, like, I felt that being good at baseball was more important than being wealthy because of baseball. Because okay. uh, I felt like, oh, I could just invest and do my, you know, do real estate or stocks and I could I could figure out a way to make money with whatever I have. Um, I didn't really think about that in the car sense until I bought the Career GT in 2009. Um, that's when, that was the first year I made a million dollars. The market had tanked. I bought it for like three hundred thirty grand. it was still under warranty, it was black on Ascot, yeah. and I was like, they're never going to do anything like this again, my buying power is going up, and I was like, okay, maybe the US dollar is trash and I need to get a hard asset, and I started thinking in those really random terms at that point, and that's when I was, you know, I mean, this is like 15 years ago, right, yeah, when we went yeah. through the economic crisis, so I had been investing since I was 13. So by the time I'm 28, 29 years old, I'm kind of savvy enough mm-hmm. to realize, hey, maybe the stock market's a little bit of a scam right now. It's a little inflated. Real estate's kind of sketchy because of these loans. And like, why are waitresses getting a second condo in Austin, Texas? It's yeah. weird to me. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I like cars. I'm going to buy a Carrera GT. Bought a Carrera GT. I had a Andyle 3.8 993 Turbo uh, that I used to use as a track car. Yeah. I ended up getting a GT3 997. I did European delivery on it uh marco warner was was like a driving coach he raced with patrick for a long time and so like somebody set me up with him and we did like track days and he was like my first real track instructor in a gt3 uh so yeah i was just like that's how i got all my that's how i got everything out was that that on off schedule of the season right you baseball is like six or eight months straight and then you have a couple months where you can really just go screw off and just go to europe and Mm -hmm. try something um, but it was like I'd go to Europe and drive around, I'd go to Japan. You know, I, I wanted to see the world because I didn't get any of that as a kid because everything went into baseball. No summer vacations, no spring breaks, no ski trips, no snowboarding, none of that stuff because I couldn't get hurt, I couldn't worry about injury, I couldn't miss tournaments. So I had to just baseball, baseball. Um, and then people would, were very critical of that. I started doing track days mm. and racing, and people were like, You're going to get hurt. I was like, Well, I'm not driving like some vintage 60s Camaro. Yeah. Like, I'm driving a Porsche with a roll cage and I'm in a fire suit. And-
0: but but on adventure, Adventure CJ, if I, if, if I analyze it, you, your sheer force of will, your commitment, your, your dedication, and your ability to analyze and focus allowed you to be the player that your physical state. Mm-hmm probably wasn't warranting and your body let you down more than it you know what i mean it, oh, yeah you were pushing your body to the max because your 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 soul wanted you to yes when you look at racing how attractive was racing from the point of view yeah we have to be fit we have to do this it has two great things though mm. you can overcome physical you could be five six you could be six one yeah you could be you know justin wilson was huge you know you've got you know uh, Tommy Milner's huge. I right. mean, you know, there's some very tall drivers and there's short ones, right? Little, there's it's some a, little guys and there's some dudes. And there's some, and there's some
1: th- little heavier ones. And that's th- what I'm saying. So you have a guy, you know, like the spectrum, right? So you have uh, you have uh, Balzan on one side, right? Yeah. And you got your Bergmeister on the other side, right? There you are. What a great example. Right. right? You got Tony Stewart in there and you're like, Jim Jordan. Are- yeah. You exactly. know, who could sit on his lap
0: in a car, yeah. you know? So my point
1: being, you have
0: this this brain on you and this commitment to performance and risk taking racing presents itself other than the fact that you love cars mm-hmm. you knew physically you, it was totally in your wheelhouse mm-hmm. You in, in racing we seldom get hurt you can die or you or you don't really get hurt
1: that's you exactly know? it it's a binary thing and that, I try mm-hmm. to explain to people that like you know if you're at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana or something like that you know and I'm doing a track day mm-hmm. or something I'm in my GT3 RS and um i'm either the car's either going to make it all the way around full throttle or i'm or it's going to hit the wall like it's not like that's how you have to race and the that aspect of it made it easier because it wasn't the gradient effect of like maybe i need to take a little bit off this one You know, to to to, because my arm's a little sore, and and, but you know, at some point you will hurt your arm as a pitcher. It's gonna happen. I had five arm surgeries. Okay, I broke my back when I was eighteen. Like I blew my knee out when I was seventeen. I broke my leg when I was twenty. So it's like you know, you have these problems that you just are inherent to overuse injuries, which is basically baseball, (laughs) specifically. But car racing was okay. Mentally, I can outlast the guy in front of me because I can handle the heat. Yeah, i'm not going to sweat my way out to dehydration levels right. where i'm going to make a mistake i yeah. train at that level i'm ready for 140 bpm heart yeah. rate you know um i i'm and then the once once i figured out endurance racing and that that was a thing i was like oh i can get five hours of seat time in one weekend in a race okay. let's do it that's yeah. great because i only have one weekend you know yeah. and so in the in, i would i did the skip barber series uh in the winter i raced with like all these guys spencer piggott uh Uh, tristan nunez ashley freiberg uh michael cooper um david chang uh gosh uh i'm I'm gonna um who else was there so many people so many guys from that that era that that uh, the 2008 2009 like class of drivers those guys are all pros now all the kids all the kids that were good they were like 14 years old yeah. you know and I'm like talking to them and their parents are like hey so you're a pro athlete like what should my kid do so I actually would sit down with the kids and just interview them and ask them questions and then explain to them commitment and I met Spencer Piggott and I would talk to him and I'm like okay first of all he looks like he's from like Hunger Games 1 right yeah, and, then, totally. and then the second thing is uh, he was fully committed to IndyCar when he was uh, a kid and Barry, his dad, we were talking, and I said, How did you know he was gonna be a racer? And he goes, Oh, we did this dirt bike race when he was like five. He could he couldn't he couldn't put his feet down. And like he starts, you know, and he yeah. falls over, and I'm thinking and Barry's like, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, he fell over. Oh yeah. poor kid. And then he looks back and he, and Spencer's like, pick me up, get me going. Yeah, like yeah, stand yeah. me up, you know. And I'm interviewing him, like I would I have a film of this somewhere. And I'm like, So, IndyCar, 240 miles an hour. I said, if something goes wrong, he goes, I'm willing to take the consequences. And I was like, this kid's going to make it. 14, willing to put his life on the line for IndyCar. And I'm like, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm like, this is exactly how I was as a kid, except he has the physical talent to be the IndyCar racer, yeah, right? And yeah, so yeah. Um, seeing him over the years and seeing Tristan over the years and, and you know some of these other people win and get in the car, get out of the car. You know, they, everybody has life events. They're all in their 20s now or whatever it is. Um, it's it's cool for me because I was kind of like a talent scout. I was like, oh, yeah. I see these kids. You
0: and know? yet you were, you were applying a talent scout with no background in our sport. Right. You were coming from what you knew from our other professional sport mm. into racing. I, I remember when... Watching you out there, you know, it's being in the pits because I'm lucky because I always got the I call it pit lane perspective I can see, you know, you're all staring into Mm -hmm. the pit lane and hiding from everyone behind But I have the best seat in the house right Mm -hmm. when I'm there and I've done it. So I'm looking at it and I'm always and you Your intensity was you know, it wasn't you weren't a big smiley person in the pit box I mean, I could see your nerves and I always wondered I bet your nerves. uh, I wonder what they're like and I've waited a long time to ask you. Mm. Compared to walking out, you know, there's a twenty thousand people, you know, or yeah. watching everything you do. You can't scratch right. your nuts without being on TV. And you get in racing, and when you get in the race car, you're the you're the spiky point, right? The mm-hmm. sharp point of a very big team. Right. But it's all on you when you're in the car. There's no noise other than the car, right? Maybe they talk to you on the radio a bit. Did you like the isolation? Because you're were you you're so focused, but it was on a public stage mm-hmm. with everything being scrutinized right. in your sport. You get in a race car, and you're on your own once you're in there. Did you enjoy that ability to, to execute
1: with the helmet on? I think it's fucking great. It's great. I mean, first of all, the physical sensation of going around a corner in a fast car at a high speed is is there's nothing else like it, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe if you've been a motorcyclist or a, a recreational pilot and you've done a high banking turn. But, like, you go into, like, turn one at Daytona, and you're like, okay, I think that's my brake marker, but I'm going to try to go <gasps> 10 feet deeper. Yep. And you're at maximum throttle for, like, what, 15 seconds or something yeah. like that at Daytona. So going into the bus stop at Daytona, stuff like that. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it racing is the only sport other than maybe golf that you can actually play on the same field as the legends yeah even as an amateur so you can go do your skip barber race you know in your formula car or your miata or something like that and you can race at lime rock and you can sit there and think to yourself wow paul newman raced here you know that's mm-hmm. cool or you could go to daytona and you're thinking everybody raced here yeah i mean freaking everybody okay. right And then you can go into like Laguna Seca and you're like, oh, that guy died here. You know, it's different than when you're going. I mean, it's kind of the same, but when you're a baseball player and you go to Fenway Park for the first time and you're like, wow, Babe Ruth played here. Yankee Stadium, wow, Babe Ruth played here. And you think of like the legendary status that some of these places have. So there's a very good connection there between the player experience, I would say, of being stepping onto a legendary field or a venue, and then as a racer going there, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're in, because it's the, car, the track is exactly the yeah. same, regardless of if you're in an F1 car or a Miata. Yeah. So the way that I approached racing um, was I knew I wasn't that good. Initially, but I was willing to improve and willing to suck in order to be better. Yeah. So let's start in Miatas. That's where you should start, right? Mm-hmm. So you start the slow car when you crash, it's, Momentum l-
0: it's less
1: you. expensive. You know, I'm like, how hard do I have to race? Yeah. It's relatively safe just because the speeds are low. Granted, yeah. you see these YouTube videos of guys like stack triple decker, like an in and out It happens. Yeah. But like, no one dies in Miatas, no, really. No. So I was like, okay, I can do that and still play baseball. And then the goal was always to get to like top level sports car racing and endurance. So then what I did was, I was like, okay, well, I've done some racing. I'm developing developing my racecraft. Let me do some endurance racing and figure out how that works, you know? And the way I would say it is like when you're in a rhythm as a pro athlete it, it it no one's really there. I mean, yeah, there might be forty thousand people, you know, fifty yeah. or sixty in Yankee Stadium or whatever. There might be millions of people watching on TV, but if you're feeling it and you're in the zone psychologically, you're so in the moment that you're just focused on executing your pitches or whatever else. The same way that in a double stint at a like in a night race, yeah, it's like a song stuck in your head. Yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. and yeah. you have like this whole thing of you you're just hitting your marks and you're doing your thing. And that level is hard to get to in racing. You know, you have to spend a lot of time there, or yeah. be really familiar with the track or the car or whatever. And so, chasing that sort of psychological zone, I would say, being in the zone, is int- it's intrinsic. That's yeah. you're not doing that for anybody else. It's a hundred percent selfish, and that's what I do like about racing is that I can go there and focus on myself and my improvement. Now, when you're a team manager. And it's like you're watching yeah. your two cars run around in ST class chasing down, you know, Randy Popes or something like that. And they're hitting
0: each other when you're like, Bump drafting. Drafting. what drafting. fuck yeah. you, what did <laughs> you guys say? One thing to you guys, don't hit each other. Yeah. I remember one one race, I think it was Red Atlanta, one of your, your two cars hit each other or something. And I remember just looking over going, well, that's going to be fun. Right. You know, but that happens. The two Audis hit each other at the top of, you know, in prototypes. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, it, it should happen. look at look at red bull right look Over at the years red and, bull. in exactly. f1 right so i think the thing is that racing because it's like this individual pursuit dealing with the psychology of the drivers as a team uh-huh. owner was very hard but the reason why i started the team it was the same reason why i started in miatas was like okay can i learn the business of this and just by being around it absorb stuff and by interacting with these people pit crew uh you know like i'd have talks with like john Doonan or something like that yeah. back when he was at mazda talk to continental about the tires talk to michelin about the tires just meet these people meet the porsche people meet the ferrari people meet yeah. the gm people like what is it that they're all doing here why are they here and then that helps me get like uh, I would say like a really wide angle or a 30,000 foot view of the racing industry and so then I could be conscious of it when I was watching TV all the moving pieces that were happening behind the scenes so having that sort of A to Z knowledge of what's happening yeah. is is important and I'll never forget this and I, he'll probably kill me for saying this but Bill Riley uh, because of Mark Miller, one of our racers, uh, I met Bill Bill's a legend in the sport yeah, right totally. he's great his family's great. Um, They've been in it forever. And um, I met him and, you know, he said something to me that was great. He's like, you know, you got to think about passing tech. You know, you got to think about BOP. You got to think about this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, okay, well, how does that play out? He goes, do you want to win Daytona or do you want to win the championship? And I was like, "All right," like he he said that to me in maybe 2010 or something like that. You know, I met him right when I first yeah, yeah. Like, started the team. We're in ST, and um, and I thought about that. And I was like, "Well, that's really interesting." But you know, when sports car racing, because it's it's there's a body there that says, "Oh, well, hey, you know, these are all inherently different cars." You know, even at the small level we were at, it was like the Honda, the, the Miata, the the Hyundai, the the little Cayman that I didn't really understand how that was in the series. You know, the, in the ST. Um, you figure there's different strengths and weaknesses at different courses or whatever and then it becomes the mental game and the long game and the politics game and it's like oh that's why Prost was good Prost was doing this stuff he was doing that stuff you know he was like a team owner in that sense Uh, then you look at you know then Senna was cool to watch because he would just send it right and you're like okay he's trying as hard as he can Um, and then you know like you see all these different things and you see these guys and you know you develop a team culture and it was an awesome experience having my team for you know 10 years or whatever it was so that but it made me want to race more the more i was around it but the problem is i was still deep into baseball and one of my buddies was like hey you need to chill on the racing and just focus on baseball because baseball is is going to take you where you want to get to and this was like maybe 2009 or something like that uh he lived in miami my buddy marcello and uh i was down there racing in homestead for the skip barber series mm-hmm. and um <laughs> I think I like, actually qualified well, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, why am I up here? There's yeah. only like two people in front of me. Like, yeah. This is weird. Uh, and he said, listen, let's let's talk about this. Because someone approached me about racing Daytona in, in GT3 or GTD. It was like, I don't know, one of the Porsche teams or something. And um, and I was like, I think I should do it. I can afford it. And he goes, yeah. okay, but let me ask you this. What happens if you go out there and you win the race, and Porsche says, here's a contract. We want you to be a factory driver. Are you going to quit baseball to go make whatever they pay? Yeah, And I was like no I don't think I can afford to do that yeah. right now yeah and he goes so just think about that like baseball is your path take it all the way to the end and then sidestep how many more years did you do uh like seven more years after seven more. that because yeah. the last you had injury didn't you that yeah. last I
0: remember you it was in the differences between the sport in racing you're hurt you sit out you don't get paid end of story right remember you say I get paid under contract anyway yeah, remember, I'm like Jesus, that's crazy for us. Now, why don't you come racing? Um, talk about the camaraderie. Because one thing that you came in at a time where you had arguably had the camaraderie of growing up through through the baseball ranks, the guys you knew, the college and the fun. We do that in racing. Yeah. When we start out with kids. You weren't Spencer's age. You were older than him. Yes. You weren't Ashley's age. You were older than them. You know, we had, we had that growing up. I, my my first good elimination and make a you know all people to this day it's you know hey great to see you how much did, did you love did you enjoy the camaraderie of people with similar passions i mean there must be some funny stories you said something about a guy with his hand cut off but i mean the yeah. funny the, did you enjoy did you take did
1: you enjoy that well okay so think about it this way right you go through this thing where it's a meat grinder you're in high school. You get drafted. You get sent to you know west west somewhere, Lake Town, something, right? Yeah. Uh, there's 300 people in the in the stadium at that first game. You're getting 850 a month, 850 dollars. Yeah. Uh, you're on an air mattress. You know. Um, I was living. I went to Loyola Marymount, right? I got like a full ride to go there my junior year. Uh, I get drafted in the fifth round by the Rangers. I get sent to Pulaski, Virginia. Uh, I, I'm on an. Which air you mat- didn't even know where it was. I I've never heard of that place no, before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm on an air mattress. Um, my roommate had gone to UCLA, so we knew each other from we actually played little league together. Okay, we played on a travel ball team when we were 13. So now, seven years later, we're on the same team again. Wow. We're roommates. I was yeah. like, "This is the best thing ever." Yeah. Like, what a small world, right? So yeah. that's you see that effect um he was playing world of warcraft all the time for fun i was reading books on pitching and hitting and stuff like that you know trying to understand more yeah. about all that our neighbor down the hall from our you know apartment that we had which was 225 a month yeah uh was a crack dealer okay, okay. and i'm like this is kind of a first yeah. you know uh this is weird we would we were making so little money and i was going from living in marina del rey to living there you know and i'm like this is a much different like Situation than i'm coming out of but hey this is just the first step yeah. guys were like hey let's go out let's party let's do this i'm like do you guys really want to spend one more day here than you have to like well, i don't want to be here yeah i didn't give up a run for like a month and they were waiting for me to give up a run to see like how i would react to it because yeah. i was like literally just throwing shutouts every time yeah and then i gave up like one or two runs and you know it, it was what it was and then they just moved me up and i was like okay cool yeah so my first summer i'm in savannah georgia And that culturally was very weird for me. I'd never been in the deep South before, right? It was the first time I'd ever seen the other side of the tracks. I grew up in Orange County, right? Like there's no like racial strife necessarily in Orange County. It's like, oh, you're you're Mexican, you're Vietnamese, I'm white, like we all like tacos, right? Everybody's good, it's fine. So, um, then the, uh, you go there and then you have like real racism, real stuff like that. You have like Confederate flags on literally on train tracks, like <laughs> yeah. Confederate flag here. And like little John and the East side boys, like right here yeah. with like a 26 inch wheel Cadillac, you know, with like yeah. a bass boat paint. So, you know, I'm like learning more about the world at this point And, and, and I, but same thing. I don't want to be here. Like, I want to get out of here. So I'm focused on that. And you start to meet the other guys that are also the movers, you know, the guys that are doing it, the, the yeah. guys that have, you know, real, real prospects to, to move up. And those are the guys you end up being friends with. You're not being, fr- you're not becoming friends with the guy that's eating donuts in the weight room. Yeah. yeah. You're, you know, there's like a dude doing one arm on pull ups and you're like, yeah. show me how to do that. You yeah, know, yeah. so that's I, I my best friends moving up in the ranks in that regard. Uh, I stayed with them for about six or seven more years where we were very tight. And then eventually people get traded and stuff like that. The team is weird in the minors because it's all competition. It's dog eat dog. If he moves up to double A, it's because I suck and I'm staying here. If I move up, it's zero sum. Okay. Just like Formula One, right? There's 25 guys in the roster, and it's like that all the way down. So, if for you to go up, someone else has to come down or get fired. Yeah. that's it. It's brutal. So you just learn how to be really selfish. So I was like headphones on all the time. Like I'm just uh-huh. here to focus on my skills, develop my skills. Uh-huh. I got I got thrown out of uh, like a off season camp with the Rangers one time because they wanted me to take notes all of us want well, all of us to take notes on each other when we were watching each other like pitch and yeah. do our practice sessions and hey what would you how could you improve jose's windup? Yeah. how could you fix frankie's slider yeah. what, this and i was like i'm not helping these guys <laughs> they're my competition yeah, yeah. this is the, like that's not capitalist like i'm yeah, not into yeah. that and eventually some of those guys if they make it you're like hey okay now we're both in the majors now we're about winning and so there's like this really big thing that happens where you're focused only on development in the minors And then you're focused only on winning in the majors. Um, But along the way in the minors, the filtration process is, like, absolute. There's absolutely crazy people that do crazy things. I had a teammate, and we were talking about doing a book on this, uh, like a Curious George book Mm -hmm. of all the things that he screwed up. So um, he gets, like, in a bar fight, you know, uh, he cuts a guy's hand off with a machete. He, like, (laughs) loses his luggage when we're, like – he makes it to the majors, you know. Uh, They go to send him down. He barricades himself in his hotel room and he's like, You can't send me down. I mean, this is like a guy from the Dominican that has you know, he grew up with like a dirt floor. He doesn't want to go back to that, right? He's like, I'm not going back to the mill, right? Yeah. That's like the the Dale Earnhardt thing, right? So um the uh you know, there's that you see what people are playing for, the consequences if they don't make it. And you realize the the kid from Huntington Beach that used to grew up like surfing going to the wedge. And, like, his fallback plan is, like, being a writer in Hollywood or something like that. Yeah. Like, n- like zero sympathy for that for that character. Yeah. The guy that has, like, pet chickens and, like, dirt floors and, you know, like, a kid on He's the way. He's supporting his whole family. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, 15 people maybe, yeah, you know, shit. grandpas and uncles and aunts and all that stuff. Um, that guy's alternatives are you go home and you become a coach or a drug dealer, right? That's mm. really it. If you're not from the political class in the Dominican, like, yeah. you're, you're not, like, there's not social mobility there. Like, you're going to go to college and, like, become a stock trader that's not that's not the same thing as you have in america so you see those consequences and you realize okay well i am fighting against that guy i have to fight harder than that guy because he's going to fight as hard as i am because he's fighting for life but i have to be like fighting for excellence always in that and that's how i choose it and in the racing thing i think it's cool because yeah the guys stick around and you can have a long career as a racer like you're you're fully physically capable right now of hopping in a car totally and, and going and racing yeah because like you said earlier physically the car doesn't doesn't hurt you yeah right it's your brain and what can you execute and how can you play the game with the guys around you and if you're on a multi-driver team in an endurance race how can you have better pit stops how can you have yeah. better strategy how can you save the brakes so you don't have to do a brake change and that mental aspect of it was always the most attractive because i was like well i might be smarter than people but they're gonna be better than me at this or that so yeah. i need to make up for that by being more strategic or something and that's kind of how i looked at it but the The hard thing for me now is like i've 've stepped away from racing for the last couple of years, and uh, I miss it terribly I, might, I, I think I miss racing more than I miss baseball um, huh? and I'm, I'm trying to get back into racing, but I really you know financially I have to focus on the business and stuff like that and that's and, and you know, I got four kids now, so I can't really be away for five days and if you can't spend enough seat time even though we've got the simulator and yeah. stuff it's not the same no. you have to put the seat time in you have to go drive these tracks you have to test the tires out and if you can't put in Thirty or forty hours of testing, you're not going to get. You're not going to get where you need to get to, no. and that's the hard part of our racing. And I think for you, you're
0: 42, right? You, you've achieved. You're achieving this amazing business, and as you told me, you said you made. You told me once a figure. You said I made some pretty big numbers. I did well, and I know you're a smart guy with money. But that's not enough. You you want to turn it into a legacy. You got this, and you know, without doubt, you're going to come back into racing the time is a big deal Mm because when we're young we don't give a shit about time if you told me i went to japan i lived there for two years i didn't care if you'd right you would have gone anywhere in the world yep and mom i'll text you you know what i mean i'll facetime it's different when you have kids it does change you don't want to miss you know it was a big dinner next wednesday it's my daughter's 16th birthday but i can't do it right so you change your thing however inside us i don't think we've changed right you know essentially you're like I'm gonna I'd love to do 20 races in a year yeah it doesn't doesn't work like that it you know to be away a hundred days yeah to go and do 20 races that's not that's. That's
1: pretty rough. Yeah. So, and you have a business. Yeah. And so you look at the, let's call it, like, the really hardworking professional race car drivers, like, as a class of people, right? Mm-hmm. You have the guys that are just doing F1. You know, you have the Hamiltons and the Leclercs and the guys like that, right? And then you have the guys like Bleakamolen, right? And he's okay. racing in, like, Blancpain and, yeah. like, SRO America and yeah. then, like, you know, WEC. And he's, like, everywhere. That dude's in the car, like, like a NASCAR driver, like, 30, 30 weekends a year, yeah. probably, right? Something like that. So... You know, in tennis, there's an effect of the pyramid of the tournament. It's a tournament all the time. There's not like a round robin; everybody gets three games, and then you go home, and then we'll see who it is. It's you win your way through, and then then the best people meet in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the finals. So the guys that are the best, they're getting in, in racing. It's the same thing; they're the, they're they're getting the seat time. So the, the people like Jerome have have kind of worked their way into a, a thing where they're the fast guy for a privateer or they're the fast guy for hire or something like that and they're a a known quantity and they can perform and they can drive anything because they drive everything. And because he's driven so many things and raced so many races, he's a much better racer than someone like me because he's just had that many more reps, right? Mm. I always felt like there's a there's a there's an element of like you said physicality willingness uh and then just the mental capacity to sort of juggle the systems of the car right so the more complex the car is the more the the mental skills of the driver make a difference you know when you're talking about like p2 or prototype or you know stuff like that you need to be able to juggle the systems especially now with like the hybrids and all that stuff so that's where someone like me might level out with someone that's Mm -hmm. been racing their whole life uh, because those people can do what they're told to do, but they might not know how to tell the engineers something, right? Mm-hmm. And I would see that when I was a team owner. I would listen to the to the guys give feedback on the car. I'd sit in on every session that I could, uh, every practice session. I'm on the cans. I'm like listening. I'm talking to the guys. I'm asking them questions. You know, I'm trying to get better as a racer through their feedback. You yeah. know, and then I'm I'm thinking about that, trying to trying to visualize it, trying to imagine it. All that stuff. And I'm, I get a chance every once in a while to drive the same car that they're driving. So then it gets me a feel to say, okay, where am I at with yeah. um, So there's some guys that, that come through and whether they're a privateer or they're a prospect or whatever you want to call it in racing, uh, they they have feel and they can do it, but they can't communicate that thing. And that's the difference between like the champion level guy and the guy yeah. that can win a couple races or put fast laps down. The guy that's like the champion level guy, he can drive a bad car to a good finish. You know, and then seeing that it was sort of like when we were in the Miatas, we had to do that all the time. Yeah, we had to drive an underpowered car to a good finish by being cleaner and all that stuff. And so, um, when Stephen McAleer won the championship with us in Miata a couple years ago, it was funny because he, he his, his he was like, hey. This is my budget. I don't have budget, right? The, the money that I won for Mazda to get here, that's all I have. So I'm going to end the season with the same front bumper yeah. that I start the season with. And it was like you hear these little nuggets, and it's like, okay, this guy's yeah. going to make it because he gets that, right? But there's, but there's another side that is...
0: I was always hampered by that. We never had the quite budget. I was always the guy, and even when I was... And I know this isn't about me, but the real, there is a freedom that comes... With maybe, as you know, when you're the guy, right, and you're in a team and you are the leader, and you you either win, you're extraordinary, and it buys you grace with the team. A Bill Oberlin, he's won hundreds of races. The winningest guy. He has never thought about not taking a risk. He has never thought about not pushing his himself, on whether it's the front fucking bumper, the back bumper, the side, the wing mirrors. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to go through because he's earned his grace. To, sure. Period. He, yeah. They'll forgive him. Yeah. You know, Turner will say, shit, okay, Bill, I mean, that was a few grand, but you won. Hey. You know? Yeah. Um, when you race, knowing that if you crash, you're not going to the next race, it's character building, but you're not you're not liberated like the guy that just goes I don't give a fuck I mean Paul Tracy he had backing he was a monster first year of IRS I was in his second year he crashed 12 out of 16 races I think or something stupid like that I'm sorry Paul I'm not probably correct but then the year I did it he won 12 out of 16, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he just literally
1: was so good. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing with the driving back again to the physicality of it, or maybe the lack of physicality, right? The yeah. mental aspect is such a higher component because the willingness to push the car over the edge to find the, the real yeah. edge. Because, you know, we like you go around, you drive a car, you put a lap down, and you're like, hey, yeah, that feels like a pretty good lap. Yeah, and then yeah. your teammate goes like faster, and you're like, what what turn was he better? What like let me see the data. Let me see the charts. Let me see the let me yeah. see the motec. Yeah. Um, and then you see that that guy went five miles an hour through turn three, and you're like, all right, well I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And uh, like the funniest thing for me, and I, I like I had so many people along the way that were helpful in my journey as mm. a, as a driver. And 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 like I said, if you if you to do everything consciously and you're actually seeking out these answers then it helps you in business it helps you yeah. as a parent or whatever else so i'm at sonoma i'm doing the the jim russell school at the time uh they're the f3 cars the carbon cars the lolos they're awesome tyler mcquarrie is my coach i come in from a lap. i'm like hey man i don't really like the way the car's handling like it's doing this and that and the other and he goes what are you doing through the s's and i'm like oh, i'm trying to like you know keep the revs up but it's like kind of bogging down and the car's like kind of Skipping along or whatever, and he goes, "Oh, you're not making enough downforce." And I was like, "Okay, what am I supposed to do?" He goes, "You need to go flat through the S's." And I was like, "Flat, bro, it feels terrible." And I'm doing like 100. You want me to go like 130 through there? He goes, "Yeah, that's when you actually get the downforce." Like, he yeah. he goes, "Dude, it's fine." I said, "Okay, so send it." I'm either gonna die yeah. and haunt you for the rest of your life, yeah. or it's gonna work, and then I'll never look back. And I did it, and it made sense. And so ever since then, I was like, "Oh man, I love aero cars yeah. people, people were like transitioning out because I. Conceptually, I I get it, right. So yeah. a couple years ago, I get a chance to race at Spa, which is awesome, um, dream. It's like it's like as a baseball player playing, yeah. playing Yankee Stadium, right. So I'm at I'm at Spa. I've obviously done it on Forza and the simulator a bunch of times. I'm in an LMP3 car, and um, my coach was you know the guy was like coaching me and my co-driver. Uh, I had a silver co-driver, okay, and yeah. I was the bronze or the plastic or whatever you want to call yeah. it, right. And uh, and he was like, oh, you know, I've raced all these like downforce cars, da 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 da. He didn't have the nuts to go flat through Eau Rouge, right? He, or Radion, I remember? Yeah, yeah. He didn't have the nuts to go flat through um, uh, Pouan, okay? So um, I was like, you know, I had this experience with Tyler where he's like, hey, it's this simple. The car makes more downforce the faster you go. And so I was like, what does it feel like when I'm like on the limit? With the downforce, he goes. Oh, it'll feel like you're driving on gravel, but it's still there. But it's like feels like it's like micro, micro like yeah. it's, yeah, it's like giving up and catching, and giving up and catching on the front end. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I can just drive into that yeah, f- yeah. sensation, yeah. and then I just don't kill myself by going past it. So it was easy for me, like at at, at Spa, because yeah. it was a track that I was familiar with. It was a car that I was very unfamiliar with, but it was a sensation that I knew what to look for. And then it was just like, kind of like, I guess to relate it back to baseball, when you throw a really good slider or a good cutter, I guess is a better example. So a cutter is basically an offset fastball. So you, a fastball spins backwards. So you throw it and you want to get like the the, the rotation from the bottom of the ball to the top of the yeah. ball and around. Wow. Um, when you throw a cutter, you want kind of like that, but you want it to almost be offset, maybe maybe 10 or 15 degrees. And so what that does is it bites, and then the ball like works its way over to the side just a little yeah. bit, but at a high enough speed that the ball doesn't drop. Huh. So because the ball moves across but not dropping, it makes it harder for the hitter to track it because the bat is heavy on the end and uh, and small on the hands. So you want to pitch to the small part of the bat, and so there's like this gyroscopic effect or you know, arrow effect or whatever to that particular pitch, right? right? So that was a signature pitch for me that I got really good at because I understood the concept of just throw a fastball that's offset just enough that it moves but doesn't drop. And so it's like you need to get it to carry, right? So, uh, like at Daytona at the kink, you know, you need your car to be barely f- like, like scary to go flat through the kink. And yeah. that's, that's enough arrow to be good, but not so much arrow that you're going to drag all the way around the back straight. Yeah. Right. So this is like a concept that like sticks with me for, for my whole life. You know, I understand this. So uh, I'm going through, you know, and I do some downforce things. I finish. I think we finished like third or fourth in the race. And I was like, really happy about that. I was like, Hey, I like, like almost podiumed at Spa. That's pretty yeah. cool. You know? Um, and uh you know so it, like things like that make sense to, to the person that comes into racing later yeah because they don't have this feel that they're used to they're just following directions and they just yeah. do something that their expert person is telling them to do and that's something you can't necessarily do in baseball because you have to sort of enlist and go through the ranks whereas yeah. um, you can actually take life lessons
0: into racing a, a business approach like yes you know like uh
1: like uh you know some of the guys that we know that have become very good um, well it's resource conservation yeah it's relationships you know you want to manage your tires over the course of a weekend right Mm -hmm. so then you figure out okay are we designing our car to be fast on like the 20th lap of the tire and feel good there or the first lap of the tire when it's perfect and if your car sucks and gets worse throughout the stint it's harder to drive you're more likely to make a mistake and it's just like you see that in pro-am racing all the time if there's like a window of the last five or eight minutes of that AM driver stint, that's when that's when it's carnage. That's when so it's if carnage. you survive that and then you you save fuel, right? You get to move up through the field because yeah. everybody else has to pit, you know. And then you you gain four or five spots because of a yellow flag yeah. because of perfect timing, you know. Kind of like the uh, uh, incident with uh, Fernando at Singapore forever yeah. ago, right? With Flavio, so it's like. Uh, yeah. maybe an intentional crash yeah. and then an intentional yeah. yellow and then Fernando stays out there and yeah. moves up 10 spots. I so. mean,
0: it's, you, you look at, it's like the Wayne, Wayne Taylor's ability to win Daytona. They just know strategy wise, even half the time they haven't had the fastest car, but it's Daytona just Daytona specifically because it's specifically, his own, he own animal. He yeah. just knows it. They just do it and they do Um How, you know, in racing, every driver, even the most, the, the quietest ones, I mean, there's, there's, uh, it was, a bit of a wild wild west before social media and mm-hmm. everyone could see everything the whole time but you know racing has always attracted girls it's you know the group it, it's, it's a bit of the fighter pilot mentality you know, Sterling Moss said you know I used to go in the bar chap and tell them I might not live the next day yeah. you know yeah, and he said it always meant I got a little bit of love you know and um <laughs> You can't really use that one in baseball, can you? You can't really say, you know, I mean, I could get hit in the head, but uh, the odds of dying in baseball are probably, you know, that's not one of the risks that that you factor in. Girls were a distraction to you or not? Uh,
1: No, not really. I I think, like, I was a little bit of a late bloomer in some senses, so I didn't really chase chicks when I was younger. I always had a steady girlfriend, and it wasn't really until... um, you know, I mean it was always like steady girlfriends the whole way through yeah. so I always felt like if I set my standards high enough I'll end up with the best one of whatever I whatever yeah. I can possibly get to yeah. and I just want to hold out for that I had other teammates that were just like my goal is putting up numbers on the scoreboard yeah, exactly. and I was like I want to have like the hottest chick that I can get yeah. at whatever game I have at that point <laughs> yeah. and so in order to do that I need to like maybe be more like a sniper and not like a flamethrower yeah. you know yeah. and so that's kind of the way I looked at it um, but I think you know Social media, I, I was like the first, you know, generation of players that, that I, I I was at the very end of the steroid era, right? They started testing okay. for steroids in 05. So that was my rookie year. So I played against guys that were... and We got tested all the way through the minors, right? So I had seen guys go on and off steroids and seen that, right? And then in like 2008, Twitter comes out. So then you start to see like this public persona thing come out yeah. and then you have guys that are out there and they have followings and they have audiences and they have people like sponsoring them to tweet certain things and the social media thing became a little bit of a distraction and then somewhere along the way along that same period of time that's when catfishing became a thing so then the funniest story i have about this this is so great i had this girl in uh texas pretend she was using pictures from like a telenovela girl (laughs) and she was pretending to be somebody and then uh, was like, oh, I'm sick, you know, I can't make it, I want to meet up with you, da-da-da-da, but I can't make it, da-da-da. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, okay, this person's obviously faking it because I figured out. I was like, who is this person in these pictures? Like, this yeah. is not, like, you know. So there's these people out there, and this is like 2010 or something like that maybe? No, 2007? I don't know, it was way back. So this is like the crossover point between uh, Twitter and Facebook and MySpace were all sort of overlapping before... Instagram, right? It's pre Instagram. Yeah. And people were creating all these fake profiles and they were really trying to go out there and like catfish players yeah. and try to get guys to send them tickets so that they can then change those tickets and then book the money and then buy, send them stuff. And so there was like, there was that whole angle and I had been approached a bunch of times by people that were trying that type of game. Cause I was out there on social media, you know, yeah, I was yeah. out there the whole time and, um, you know, it was weird. I mean, I got like followed a couple times by people. Uh, that was strange. The weirdest thing is, uh, man, i this is actually kind of funny. So in Oh nine, I lived on the racetrack out in Fort worth. So I lived 60 miles away from the stadium. I would, uh, I had uh, it was on the racetrack, so I had like my Miata race car, my Spec Boxster. I had a Career GT at the time, and then an F two fifty, and then I think I had my 93 turbo. So I had like a yeah. couple of really cool cars, and uh, I was driving my Career GT back uh, one night, you know, and it's sixty miles, so I'm like going fast, and I have to, and somebody pulls up next to me in, like a minivan, and I'm like, okay, this is sketchy, and this is like eleven thirty at night yeah, after yeah, a yeah, night, game. Yeah. so they're like following me all the way, and you know the place where I lived, there was only like 600 people that lived there. So when I, talk, I talked to one of the stadium cops and he said, Hey, you need to get a gun. Cause if someone comes out there and starts to follow you or whatever, yeah, yeah. and they try to carjack you, you know, like we can't get there fast enough. You got to take care of yourself. So, you know, I'm like three months into gun ownership at yeah, this point. Yeah. Right. I'm in Texas, which is my, you know, God given, right. Yeah. You, get yeah. A, you know, you get an F 150 and a gun yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you your driver's license. So I'm, um, I'm, a, uh, you know, carrying a gun loaded 45 on my passenger seat driving a career gt like this is probably the worst outcome that you could probably yeah. imagine like it doesn't you know it, this is really as bad. a setup for a story this yeah. isn't looking good right so the so we get so i, I get to the point where i'm like all right i'm not gonna let them know where i live i'm just gonna pull over somewhere and then force a confrontation because mm-hmm. i'm not gonna i'm gonna this is gonna be on my terms yeah, right yeah. whatever happens here because there'd be people that would like you know they knew my car they knew me or something hey, like yeah. that and they would like see me around town and like hey can i get an autograph you're mm-hmm. at lunch whatever and um they i stop on the right side of the gas pumps you know so we're like we're in a covered gas yeah. st- structure or whatever i'm on the right side they pull in like to my nine or 10 or 11 o'clock right like in Mm -hmm. front of me there was like a 45 degree angle there so um i've got my gun i'm loaded i'm ready to go like if these guys come out with like guns i'm just gonna shoot as many of them as i can and do a burnout and get out of here you know and um they get out of the van and they're like kinsler can i get your autograph i was like what the fuck (laughs) i'm like it was that scene in Wedding Crashers, or, uh, no, what was it, um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, where yeah. Vince Vaughn's like, Mom, I almost just shot you. I was like, guys, first of all, I'm not Ian Kinsler. Yeah. He's the second baseman. Granted, we're both, like, six feet tall white yeah, guys. Yeah. Like, it is what it is. But um, I'm CJ. I'm driving the Batmobile, like a black rare GT. Yeah. He has an M5. This is, like, completely different things. Like, know your people, you know? Did they feel so stupid? well it was really funny right so uh i ended up having a conversation with them and i was like hey can i explain something to you guys like i'm carrying a gun because i don't trust people at 11:30 at night yeah. that are following me do you understand like the dangers is, in this yeah this is stupid like this is texas everybody has a gun you <laughs> know and they were kind of it was like a family you know like a like a dad and like yeah. three kids or something like that and i like i'm like dad like what are you doing like your kids should be home you know yeah. it's like a thursday night like get them to the school tomorrow Um, but also like, Hey, I signed autographs on the way into the stadium on the ramp, you know, and it was like, had a normal conversation. So then like I signed a baseball and that was it, but it was so funny. And I sat there thinking to myself, like, okay, this is, this is really like the stakes are pretty high. Now I'm driving a car, like a a full on hypercar, you know, I'm young. I'm in. I'm in a position where people recognize me, or at least recognize that I'm somebody. Yeah. Some, one way or another, and I was. I was like a t-shirt guy. I wasn't. Yeah. This is before I had cool watches or anything like that. Yeah. I didn't wear necklaces or like gaudy stuff. Um, but I just realized, man, being a celebrity is not that great. You know, you're pursued by bad people all the time. Yeah. There's people trying to scam you all the time. There's girls that are after you for the wrong reasons. So you have to develop this sort of filtration process for who you have in your life because it can all come crashing down. Um, I was actually, I was engaged when I was younger and uh, her parents turned out to be con artists and like were wanted by the IRS and the FBI and like fled the country and you know, whatever. They stole money from like a bunch of, like me and my family, it was all screwed up. So, um, you know, I was very suspicious of everybody. By the time I actually got like established in the majors, I'd been through enough trauma that I was like, okay, this is, this is, not tough. yeah i need to be like very so i was like i just need i need an ace i i can't deal with you know this other stuff down here i have to go for absolutely the top of the top and i made like i would consider like an unrealistic checklist of personal attributes on a personality side because obviously like you know if you have a chance to get a hot girl you're gonna get a hot girl versus not but um i was like okay well there's a lot of pretty people but i want someone that's special you know and and i just sort of like hid away and i didn't drink so i didn't ever make those types of mistakes chasing the wrong people um i i was pretty selective you know i would think along the way Good for you. and i ended up with like my dream girl so i think it, you have yeah right? it all worked out she's she's brazilian she's uh she's been great for me a great mom she likes racing she's got her racing license <laughs> Ooh, uh, expired of course just yeah. like mine um but i taught her how to ride a motorcycle yeah. you know we would go on motorcycle trips we'd go do track days together so i was like this is this is great you know and i i, I tell my kids sometimes like you know your mom's kind of like a superhero she does yeah. jiu-jitsu and she's like races bikes and races cars like you know you
0: can't you, quite say and she's smoking hot yeah
1: but you yeah, know other yeah. than that you'll work that out one day kids right i should get a cardboard cut out of her though <laughs> yeah, you know nice to but so, so i'm i'm happy and i think that that once i met my wife then that allowed me to then move into business because then i was like okay i have a solid home foundation now, yeah right and i have that so now i can be the baseball guy because i've got the social life taking Care of, and then I can focus on post-baseball business, which I started focusing on, you know, pretty early in my career because I'd had so many injuries. I never knew when it was going to be the last. Mm. You know, I knew at some point I was either going to have a catastrophic arm injury yeah. and I was going to be done, or I was, it was the pain was just going to be too much and I had to stop. So eventually, that was the case, this, and I blew my. Wow. I had both actually. I blew my shoulder out, but the reason why I quit. This is really funny. The reason why I quit baseball was because I wanted to play another year or two. Um, this is so, so I missed all of sixteen, uh, shoulder surgery. I rehabbed like an animal. I came back, I was strong. I was able to throw off the mound again. I'm throwing like long toss and all that stuff. I was talking to a couple teams. The one team that I really wanted to sign with signed a player that I hated, and I was like, I quit. I'm done. I'll turn it in. I made money. I'm gonna go be a car dealer. Screw it. You know, I'm, I'll go Fact. race. I got my hot wife. You know, I'm good to go. Wow. And um and that's that. That's what. Yeah. That and, was it. <laughs> and I look back all the time thinking. I probably should have just browbeat that guy into quitting. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I should have... Because you know you could have done that. I I should have done that, you know, and then made another couple million bucks and then whatever.
0: You know, winding up a bit, but you're 42, man. You've achieved so much, but you know how young that is. Just so you know, my dad won two world championships and four Le Mans between the ages of 40 and 50. You know, so you can come back into racing and have a pretty good run. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you how do you look at the next 20 years i mean how do you approach that because this is this dealership and the way it looks and the you know the money to be made and yeah. the, you know for the, it, it's pretty absorbing but you want to race yeah and you got kids how are you going to manage all this
1: my kids love cars if i can hold on long enough this is their business okay. right if i can grow big enough i'll have a i'll have a seat for all of them yeah uh this is a team sport also you know i need to selectively have managers that can I can hand the keys to. I can yeah. trust them with the yeah. credit card, the checkbook, the alarm, mm. you know, and the the fancy cars and all that stuff. I have to be able to trust those yeah, people. Yeah. So you have to put those people through the ringer to make them jump through the hoops. Um, business wise, right? Yeah. Obviously, the bigger the business is. I mean, the perfect example currently is Ben Keating. Ben Keating is the model right he's the guy that's taken his relationships and his his acumen and his work ethic and he's turned his business into a machine and it turns out enough money that he can go race and I don't think anybody that works for Ben is like hey man maybe put the race cars away No, nobody Mm -hmm. in their right mind would say that to him because the stores are all doing good he's centralized in Texas so he has his base, you yeah. know what I mean, and that's his thing. And he's got good relationships through Riley and all these other guys over the years that he's worked and he's he's spent money on it, obviously. But he's done all yeah, these things yeah. the right way. Um, I'm really happy for him and his success because that's the guy that I, I look at, and yeah. he's in his 60s now. From what, but, I but I
0: look, he's he in the he's fast enough. He's shredded. He's in the he's second yeah, Corvette. He's, yeah, he's good. He Sebring. He was in the second fr- freaking yeah. Corvette yeah i know that's the way the gtd and pro and that you know the, the you know it's working but yeah holy cow yeah that's something
1: yeah and so for me you know if i look at like my my bucket list of all the cool things that i wanted to do i've done pretty much all of that you know i've done all of the stuff that i want to do for the most part uh, in terms of the selfish pursuits like you know play baseball and all the mm-hmm. stuff like that i've had all these cool cars i think racing wise my checklist is very sparse you know i've done i've won some races and yeah. i you know we won a championship and you know i did some cool stuff i think like i drove the lmp1 porsche and that was good and i got within you know a respectable time of um uh neil johnny when, yeah. we, when we did the test or whatever it was me and Fastbender and wow. uh, mcdreamy and christian reed and i was the fastest out of all those guys and That's i felt good really that. good about that um You know, uh, I didn't really know what to expect of the car, but I was like, okay, well, the problem is that no one's ever going to make a car like this again. This is the top of the top, the Porsche LMP1 hybrid. It's the best thing ever. But. Uh, and it's kind of ruined me to a degree because I'm like, okay, what am I chasing now? Do I yeah. just go after like Corsa Cliente Ferrari F1 cars Which, and like for the sensation, just for this, you know, the yeah, the, yeah. the sort of tourist thrill, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, now it's just all competition based. Like, I want to win Daytona, I want to win Le Mans, yeah. I want to do that stuff. My old team that I sold, uh, they won Petit Le Mans last year, yeah. you know, in the, in the NSX, and I'm super proud of them, and I was like really happy for them. Um, those guys, the the people that we built that team. Um, they they are successful they're sustainable they're running their business they're doing their thing and i think about it from a standpoint of you know okay so who now is my model as a driver to to like climb up or whatever and i think it is kind of more the ben keating model than the dempsey model realistically yeah Yeah. Uh, i'm not a celebrity i'm not someone that's been in a ton of movies that you can watch on netflix or whatever i'm just a business guy now you know my baseball career was cool but it wasn't so Gnarly that everybody knows what baseball even is. Yeah, yeah. If I went to go race in, you know, Thailand in the Asian Le Mans series or something like that. You're just another guy. Yeah, in Buriram. No one knows who I am. I'm just so another, you know, another gringo, right? So it's it's like I I have to prove myself, but I'm going to have to work my way up the ladder. Yeah. I'm not just going to go into LMP2 or LMDH and pay a bunch of money and go crash into stuff. I have to earn that internally for myself because that's how I did everything else. Mm. You know, I worked from a Mazda dealer up to a porsche dealer right i worked from a miata team to a porsche team to a gtd team right i i went from the from high school to the you know minors to the majors and and to an all-star right so i think as a dealer right now i've been doing it for 11 years i I think that there's a limit to how much time i want to be the active general manager and then i want to hire other people to do that but you have to bury the bodies and to know where the bodies are buried to like to coach other people, right? Yeah. So once like I have I'm building like a manual right now, like just a sort of this is how you run a car dealership and I'm building that internally. And so then I can sort of hand that to someone and say, hey, let's look at page 33. Let's talk about the wow. story from when I bought a Lambo that I lost my yeah. ass on. Why are we not going to do that? You know, and I can coach anybody that has acumen and ethics into doing what I do now they might not have the passion for it but if i only have to spend 10 percent of my time to get 70 percent of the results like that's a really good equation. that's a really good yeah. you know and that's kind of the way i look at it wow. so i'll have to overpay somebody to sit in my seat realistically but i'm willing to do that because then i have free time and yeah. then i can go do next part of your life yeah i can do I can, I can race and uh the, the the business is called cj's road to le mans so it's like once again through the keyhole that's what i want that's where I want to go that's what I want to do and I'm not going to give up until I get there but there's no reason to it's the no. ultimate race it's yeah. the ultimate sports car race it's the only race that a gentleman can go there and, as a, or a businessman whatever, yeah. whatever you call yeah. a, a you know a guy paying his way in yeah. um, I can race the same damn car as the pros against the pros yeah. with other pros you know I can on the track at the same time the with same the fans t- watching yeah. you with the same where event. you raced me, where your dad raced I won raced. The club, my class yeah.
0: And someone once said, well, you didn't win overall. I said, I won the race I was in. Yeah. I mean, that's the race I yeah. was in. I mean, I wasn't in the prototypes, yeah. you know. It's, that's, a, that's a really amazing goal. It's good to hear you say that because you did leave. You left and you had the team name, but, you know, we didn't, no one, we didn't as announcers care about that. You know, it's right. nice you had the team, but you disappeared from sight. Um, so it's cool to know you, you, you got that goal. I've got to ask you, though. Are your kids in for the roughest time, or are you? Are you going to be dad that you? Because you, you were, your dad gave, and mum gave you the tools, but you had the freaking mind power to do it. Mm-hmm. Are you? If your kids don't display the same mental approach, and they all won't, by the way, there's no way four of them will. Right. Are you gonna? Are you the kind of dad that's going to try and imprint? Your passion and desire on them? Because that's tough to do. You saw those dads, didn't you? Screaming yeah. at their kids.
1: Man, yeah. They
0: screamed and screamed. I bet your dad never had to scream at
1: you like they did. No. Because it was their dad's no. passion. No. How all, are you going to be? All the screaming was totally optional in my family. I was a self starter. I got in trouble a couple times. Like, I went uh, toilet papering one time, I got in trouble for that. Um, you know, I never got in trouble for stealing movie posters. I did that. Um, I just am huh. a big fan of movies, you know. Yeah, so yeah. like, uh, we go to the bus stops. Alan Wrench, just take the thing out that's and like so put it up cool. on our yeah. wall. You know, whatever. That's kind of kind of harmless. I mean, what's a poster cost? Like fifty yeah. bucks. So, um, you know, I, I think I think the thing for me is my kids need to understand what the real world is, and that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing I can teach them now. Yeah. I think if they, whenever they come to me and they ask me questions, because like kids are amazing, right? When my my oldest daughter's seven now, when she was four, she came to me and she was like, so. What happens when grandpa dies and I was like grandpa's fine what do you yeah. mean she's like well yeah but he's old like he could die today or next year or like whatever he could just die and I was like well I mean you know and then a couple months later she's like hey so how does the baby come out of mommy's tummy You know, so these questions that I'm that I'm helping shape, I don't even remember having those conversations with my parents. I don't uh, So at some point I understood it, but I don't remember like when it happened. So the key for me is to sort of just keep them in that zone where I keep them in a real world, you know, and I show them real world stuff. But I don't coddle them to the point that they become shitty rich kids, you know, because realistically, like, yeah, we're wealthy, we have a business, and I was successful, people know who I am. I mean, I think people maybe overestimate what I'm worth, because I did buy and sell a lot of cars over the years, and probably wasted a lot of money racing or whatever. But, you know, realistically, my kids are doing way better than I am or when when I did when I was their age so if I can get them and I I have friends that are in different industries you know uh, your son's an actor so you understand Mm -hmm. that's a whole minefield to navigate one of my really good friends is a producer writer and I asked him I said hey how did your kids all turn out good and and whatever he's like because our vacations weren't to Saint Tropez our vacations were to Bryce Canyon in Utah it was backpacking in Yosemite it was you know moose spotting in Yellowstone in the winter or whatever so I got them involved in like real things so they would always see things that were way bigger than no matter how big their ego was they were always going to get humbled by difficulty nature, by nature life, all, by all that stuff yeah. yeah because you can't like go to Harvard Westlake and be humble when you're no. you know your parents are spending 30 G's a year on your, on your car, yeah. or your yeah. high school right and
0: everyone's getting a Range Rover as their first car. and your
1: dad wins an Emmy right so yeah. it's like the, the my kids are they think it's funny that I played baseball because they didn't see me play so they they like hey let's see, like what was it like yeah. and so I tell them stories or whatever pull up a YouTube video or something yeah. but um yeah the lifestyle now it's like you know I show up in different cars like you know they're driving around cars like I let my kids drive cars so yeah. kind of like a Marino Franchitti like yeah, he's getting yeah. videos of his his, his kids, kids that, that was, was me laughing driving around. Yeah. yeah, of course. And, uh, so my kids are all passionate about cars. They all like it. My son is a psychopath. He's like, he, first thing he says is monster truck or blue Porsche yeah. or a green car. And he wants to go drive in the morning. Um, the, the challenge for me really is figuring out what it is that's going to inspire them because I was inspired, you know? And, but this is critical. Like my dad and I, you know, had a very weird relationship because like I lived with my mom, but my dad would take me to practice and it was this whole thing. And I'm like, in junior college and i looked at my dad one time and i said how can we never have talks and he goes what do you mean i'm like you know like the movies like we never talk about anything about my life and like yeah, yeah, life in general and like going forward and he goes dude i've been divorced twice i like you know what do you want me to tell you like you're you get good grades you're not on drugs like you're super motivated about baseball just to keep going yeah i guess <laughs> like i'm i'm here to stay out of the way man like one of those dad chats yeah i'm I'm here to not fuck it up and i was like okay well that's cool and and i think like you know you always have to have an example and you know for you having a dad that was like this champion athlete Mm -hmm. is tough because you're in the same sport and he's a legend and all that stuff and i think about it on that regard too like as the kid you know i i was like looking around going like okay well i can pretty much bypass my dad pretty quickly you know and uh, achievements or my mom or whatever and but, you know, my kids are going to have to look at me and say, like, oh, my dad built this business after doing this career on the side, does this stuff with, you know, politics or, you yeah, know, yeah. lobbying or uh, as an author. Or what You know, all these other things that I do. And it's like they're, they're kind of like, uh. so I try to just compartmentalize and just teach, teach them how to learn. So, I talk about because I have a learning process, and I like, okay, you know, I make them watch me make eggs in the morning. I make them watch me make the steaks. So, they don't just think it's an easy button. They understand yeah. there is a process. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, his, we're going to make eggs. Watch this. And so, my daughter now, my older one, is like, I want to get involved. She wants to hold the baby. She wants to flip the eggs. She wants to crack the yolks. She wants to do everything. She wants her hands in there. She gets pissed that she's at the kids' table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, okay, there you go. Achieve her mindset. Like, that's good. So, she's kind of got that um we're playing tennis right now she's so teaching good. her tennis she paints so i'm like that's good my other one who actually is like my my, my my five-year-old she's built like an athlete she's like strong she could probably like knock a kid out if she wanted to yeah. so it's like okay we're gonna do jujitsu you yeah, know yeah. so channel that yeah channel that uh my two-year-old he's motivated and he's he just wants everything so i think he'll have that but you just have to figure out how to line the carrot up with the right fork in the road, yeah. you know, and, and you're just kind of doing that a little bit to say, hey, listen, if you want something, just, just you can get it. it just, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's ahead of you. It's yeah. not, it's not anywhere else. It's right there. But you just have to kind of keep going, and the sort of determination again to, to just keep going, to limp along if you have to, make some progress, limp it back to the pits, and that's all you, you do. If that's the worst yeah. that you can do, yeah. And, and that's life. Uh, my, I was on the phone yesterday with my friend, client of mine. He goes, why is everything harder than I think it is? I said. You're kind of a diva. Like this is a reality. Like things are tough. You're trying to raise your family to a whole nother level than where you started from. If it was easy, you would have already done it five years yeah, ago. Yeah. Like it's hard. Like all this is hard. It's you totally know your hard. Yeah, it's a hard running a business. It's hard being a good dad. It's hard being a good husband because so much more money to be made by being bad or by yeah. being immoral or you know by being whatever else. And I think the the hard thing is if you have this you're trying to really put everything on the shelf and as a celebrity you you get forced to do this everybody examines your life you know is your life in order is your love life in order is your money in order do you have a bad habit that you can just get rid of because like i like the ego thing for me it's real everybody has an ego but for me i look at it like is it possible that i could maybe live the best self-made life that anyone's ever lived and like people go like dude look at all the shit this guy actually did you know yeah, yeah. and then when i die which it might be tomorrow it might be 50 years from now might, who knows about microchips could be forever but like man if i get to go from shark diving cool dad straight edge guy with you know morals uh wrote a book did some tv stuff you know pitched the world series made the all-star team married married his dream girl drove the lmp1 car flew an f-16 Uh, You know, shot for the Wall Street Journal. Like I don't know. Like you know, met the president. Like like, all this stuff. I'm like, this sounds like a rad life, you know. And like, granted, Tom Cruise probably is like the ultimate embodiment of this, or maybe somebody like Schwarzenegger or whatever, uh, the guy that just went so far, right? And you're like, how's this guy still going at like whatever pace that is? But I'm like, man, like it's people like like me that. I I don't really care. I just want to prove to other people that anybody can push. You know, anybody can push. How far can you get? Well, yeah, there's some luck involved. There's some health involved. There's some, but it's also some strategy involved, right? And if you strategize right, you'll go farther than if you don't. And if you go with the flow, you're not going to make it because dead bodies go down the river. So did the logs when they get cut down. You got to, you got to push. You got to push. And if and pushing becomes a habit. it it hurts other people around you it pushes people away it is difficult you have to have tough conversations hey I'm gonna be gone for this this is important I need to do this I don't have anybody else that can I have to do it Um, but it's better that than you know. Um, I'm tuning somebody out because it's just me and the boys doing this other thing. And I have this whole theory called karmic gravity, where basically you know you have a sort of absolute value in terms of your life experience, and yeah. depending on that value, like as a number of like things that you've done and things and distance that you've traveled and you know whatever, and the connections that you have to people that are important to you and the quality of those interactions, uh, you can draw your dreams a little bit closer. You can open that keyhole up. You can focus more of that energy because you have been like building the momentum for the, the whole time and so it's really you know it, it, it's really possible to go a little bit further than, than, than you have gone and even when you've gone to the limit maybe you can go to the limit again you know. And, yeah. and then it's not so much doing the one thing it's like can you do that can you get to that level and then you're just at that level um, and as a driver you know I think you and I can both you know objectively look at a guy like Alonzo or something that's driving in Formula 1 at his age, you know, he's my age, right? Yeah. He's like 41, 42 yeah. years old. Lots of guys have retired in the mid-30s because physically they can't do it. Emotionally, they can't handle the pressure. This dude is built for this, right? That's it. Like, and look how he's thriving. Because he finally got a car after all these years of dancing around to these other brands and can't get a car. Now he's got a car. Now he's winning again, effectively, right? He's scoring big points. And, and his like mindset that. has changed. You,
0: he smiles every day. <laughs> yeah. He gets out of the car and he's happy right he he, and there's something to be said for that right it's like when you go back into racing after all this experience it doesn't matter i'll carry on with the audio is you will you're going to be a different guy when you take to the track because you know you know you've hit this you've ticked this one off your list yeah so you're going to actually maybe come into racing as a more balanced you know more balanced approach much more gratitude. Much more gratitude. Much more. And gratitude. just have a great fucking time when you're there. E- exactly driving it, these cars. As you say, you're never going to get paid to drive yeah. to drive a race car.
1: Yep. So that's not the goal, right? It's it's the
0: best experiences in the life you're going to
1: have. Yeah, and if right. I can, if I can go through the point where i'm good enough to justify being like a full season weck driver or something mm-hmm. like that or a full season imsa driver and that's just like a thing like ben mm-hmm. where ben's just you know racing until he yeah. physically can't do it anymore i mean how long has ben been been a, a, a perennial mainstay of racing uh, 10 years 12 yeah, years yeah, totally. something like that at least right so um that's still ahead of me i've still yeah. got i've got you know 10 10 or 12 years of racing you know like a full season of imsa If I that's the reward if I do the work right here, yeah. And if I do the work right here, and I then I can I can afford to bring my family with me, and they'll experience that with me, and then I get to share it because I didn't get to play in front of my kids in baseball. No. So the new sport I'll get to play with them watching, and that is like I think the ultimate thing that they'll get to root for me, and I'll get to share that with them. Wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be the best. So you know,
0: I'm gonna I've got one question I want to ask you. I've waited a long time to ask you this one. Um I'm going to turn this on just so I can get this again. It's uh Limidan. So cool So as someone that is um I'll just so it's got I can pick up the edit. I am it was always shit at throwing balls, right? I mean, in cricket, it would go, I'd try, you know, you'd do it, and it would go over there Cricket's a Cricket's weird. Cricket's weird, but, you know, we'd do our bowling. We'd do that, and we all played it. as childhoods. Like, Americans play baseball. We play cricket. I also, I, I, and I, want, I tried to pitch it to Speed Channel when you were, when Speed, I wanted to do something where I was driving in a car, mm-hmm. and there was a, there was a, like, a, a a target on the back of a convertible. I was trying to get, like, Audi to do it or something, or right. Porsche. And you were going to pitch and see what you could hit. For the layman, and and I apologize to everyone that's American watching this, um, because I don't know, how accurate in your day were Mm -hmm. you? If you pick something in here, could you... What could you... How accurate were
1: you to hit? I mean,
0: could you hit that light that was hanging down
1: there? Oh, yeah. No, I mean when you're at your best and you're in the zone yeah. it's full coordination at maximum effort so it's kind of like like in a cheesy way that movie with Stallone where he's like driving Indy cars and he's yeah. like throwing the quarters on the thing you can do that with a baseball so you can hit like a like a letter on a sign you know what i mean from you 60 could. feet away you know no you shit. can like if you have like a stop sign like you could you could nick a corner on that if you are good enough really? because you have you have like a You have the ability to curve the ball, right? So you can kind of like you can you can use a a sort of tunnel effect, so you know where your release point is, and when you do it right, you're just there all the time, and you have that that release. And it's kind of like shooting, like if you're a sniper or something like that. You can say, oh, you know what? I need to adjust a little bit, and you either adjust with your eyes, or you adjust with your toe, or you adjust with your finger pressure. But you have like really minute abilities to say like, I mean, hit because the baseball is relatively big, right? A baseball fits in your hand. It's you know nine inches in circumference or something like that so it's it's not small but um you could hit a golf ball size target from 60 feet away you know if that <laughs> makes sense yeah like if you had Jeez. a bunch of golf balls and then there's like a they like light up if they get hit right you could do that and i did a sports science episode where they put p- clay pigeons up yeah I and i thinking. said and i'm like okay i'm gonna hit that one and you could like throw a two-seamer that kind of goes <laughs> and goes through a track because the ball moves three-dimensionally it's just like a like bowling yeah just like bowling right and like physical like uh, not not bowling cricket, but yeah, bowling yeah. bowling. And uh, um, what's the other term for that? Is it's just bowling, right? Yeah, I guess bowling. So. bowling. So if you, you can pick out a pin with a ten-pound ball and you can hit it, it's mm-hmm. the same thing with pitching. You you can you curve it a certain way, and then you have full control over the the amplitude of the curve and then yeah. the height. Um, it, it, it's very visual, but it's like a trance. It's like when you yeah. see the Indian guy with the flute and yeah, the, yeah. the cobra comes out of the basket it's uh it's just like that you get in a in a rhythm and you just see the catcher's mitt sort of like Hanging in a way and like yeah. in, in, in space like a disembodied hand and you're like, I'm putting it right there And it's full effort, but it's so coordinated that it looks and feels very easy And anybody that's ever hit like a tennis racket or a golf ball or anything like that knows when you really hit it clean You almost don't feel it. You yeah, just totally. feel the, the transfer It's the same thing with your body because when you what you're holding the ball while you're accelerating it And then it flies out of your hand and your hand speeds up slightly. And that's that's how you know you did it. So just like a basketball player shoots it, he's like, "That's it," and you can turn around and know that it's a switch. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with a pitch when you do it well, because that there's a sensation when the ball comes out of your fingers and your they speed up a little bit uh, and like close, and your hand like closes and turns, and you just and know. you know that's it. That's it. I did it perfect. What a feeling! It's a great feeling. Um, and it's kind of like you know when you're out there on the track and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to use the red part of the curb, but not the white part of the curb." Or whatever and you know like like just on the gators you know and you just and it's it's this amazing sensation to know that you've sent this three thousand pound vehicle hurtling with like the right yaw rate the right velocity the right you know like suspension porpoising or whatever and you've got the plane all set and it just slides ever so slightly because you know exactly how much grip you're going to lose where it's going to end and you're not going to die no. um, but you have to like in my case end up in, in the outside wall and turn six at Laguna on your GT3 RS before you figure that one out Yeah. Um, and now because they've got the extra curbing out there I'm like oh well it's a lot easier now Sweet. to get that lap time
0: well I'm glad that you are. I'm glad you answered that because I always wanna I, I remember a movie I can't even remember what movie some guy steals a kit bag or something and the baseball player just throws, you know, throws a can or something and just takes the guy out. That's actually Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee, yeah. yeah. You can do that. Yeah, I was like,
1: okay, that would be pretty cool. I mean,
0: I'd, I'd need to... I'd have to throw a barrel <laughs> uh,
1: I did a TV show Okay Called The Mindy Project yeah. And they had me This is right after I had like knee surgery And um, So I'm on crutches But they like Take the crutches away For the yeah, scene yeah. And it's a wedding scene And I'm mad at Mindy I'm playing myself And my agent is getting married Or whatever yeah. And they're like Hey You're gonna throw a cupcake and you're gonna hit her. I'm like, where do you want me to hit her? They're like, You can hit her from this far away? I'm like, Well she's only like fifty feet away yeah. with a cupcake. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a professional cupcake <laughs> tosser, but like I can make the adjustment, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they're like, just don't hit her in the hair you know but oh, if you want yeah. to hit her in like the cheek or the chest or the neck or whatever Fuck. so i'm like how many takes do i get and they're like I'm, so i'm like okay get her out of the way have somebody go up there and i'm gonna try to like throw a cupcake catch yeah because you I, don't know if it's going to disintegrate yeah you don't know <laughs> so i i like dialed it in i like, got like two or three throws i'm cold i'm like in a yeah. suit you know with a tie on <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah i got it and then like i nail her like right in the right in the face yeah, with a cupcake yeah. in the tv show and it's just one of those things where um you can be really good at that type of stuff because it's like you do it th- Maybe hundreds of thousands of times, maybe a million times, I threw yeah. a ball. So yeah, you just get used to it. Yeah. And it's kind of like uh, like certain tracks. You can close your eyes and you can picture yourself at you know uh, at like the entering the Porsche curves, of Le Mans. Yeah, because right? you did it at totally. night with your life on the line. You totally. So when
0: a you bit, do a bit like Tom Brady throwing that ball to Ricardo on the boat. Yeah. Everyone who doesn't know football is like, oh my god! And yeah. then someone, a friend of mine who's big into football, said. He could have been anywhere on the boat. He would have put it in his hands. All yeah. he had to do was close his hands when he got there. Yeah, right? yeah. That's how good you are.
1: Yeah, and and that's like there's a there's a really famous video of Ichiro, who's literally one of the best players of all time. And it, they put uh, they put a bat sitting like fat side down, yeah. and they put a ball on top of three different bats. And he had he was like standing there, and they they were doing this as some sort of stunt for either Nike or like. You know i don't know some japanese company yeah, or something yeah. like that and he like picks the ball up and it's on youtube and he just like throws it and hits the ball off the bat hits the ball off the bat hits the ball off the bat and and people are like how many takes was that they're like he didn't think we were filming oh, fuck. like he just did it yeah. you know oh. and it, it, so it's like yeah the guys that are the best at that level it's just like the ballet it's just like you know acting or something like that people can get into that thing that makes that they're good at and they can get there just like that and it's it's amazing. Like you said, we were talking, about like, you know, are you Riken in fast? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, that's how good you can be at that thing if your life evolves around that. And yeah. it's hard to dedicate yourself to that because life is fun and there's all, all these other things to do. But ultimately, I think that the rewards for me were in the delayed gratification, yeah. you know, waiting to get what I wanted, yeah. you know, working to get what I really wanted, which is bigger. And so the most important thing in your life is actually the hardest thing to get. You know, the the base level, you know, are you happy because you have a house? Are you happy because you have food? No, not necessarily. Like you just sort of, like you're happy when you achieve your full potential. And so if you focus on achieving your full potential, you'll just by default, take care of all the other stuff because the only way to get to your full potential is to like iron out all the bad shit that you could be distracting yourself with and just get rid of it, you know, and just focus. There's some people that don't achieve their potential and they're so good. They could have been better. You know, and those are—that's tragic. You know, um, I'm actually just sitting here
0: right now, CJ, wishing we'd talked when I was 20. Uh, well. No, but that's it, man. That's that's—it's very impressive talking to you. The story is not finished being written here. That's what I'm excited about. There's yeah. so much more. I'm only halfway through. Only halfway through. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. This man. is great. Um, I'm gonna—I would like to take a quick picture of you to show the window there. But that is fun, man. That was really good. Sorry, my phones just been blown up. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening or watching Life with Legends. Uh, I love doing it. And so don't forget to share the podcast to your friends if you did enjoy it. And thank you so much for your support. Also, remember, visit lifewithlegends.com to catch up on past episodes and check out what I think are some beautiful portraits I've taken of all my guests. Available for sale in limited edition prints. Anyway, guys, thanks so much. I look forward to joining me again next week.